can get your fancy ales, you can drink them by the flagon, but the only food for the brave and true comes from the Green Dragon. Welcome back to the Green Dragon after our break. We've got our 2020 episode. Is this our first one? No, I think it's our second one. Who knows? It's been so long, I can't remember making episodes ever. But this episode's going to be exciting because with me, I have Harry. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me back on, Jeremy. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm glad it is, Harry. Um, I've got you on because this episode is going to be about the the new match play supplement, which we're all excited about, and the FAQ, Mm -hmm. which we're all excited about for probably different reasons, but we're definitely excited about that. So I thought I'll yeah, get... <laughs> it certainly caused excitement. Uh, perhaps not all the uh, the most exciting, nice excitement, but yeah, excitement nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, it's uh... <laughs> so we'll talk about that as well. And I've got you on because uh, once again, you're you're closer to the UK scene. You're closer to the mm. the heart of the game, the the brains of the game, the controlling power, the overlords of the game, the the ivory tower of the game, all that sort of stuff that we we in Australia are far away from and don't really get affected by except for these proclamations that come from afar yes yeah, so a finger on the pulse yeah that's what i've got i'm the sort of the uh, the, the finger on the pulse of the gaming system hopefully well i don't really know but yeah i'll, I'll, I'll claim that i'll claim that oh, you got it it's, it's you can claim anything it's we're putting it out <laughs> so before we start all that gritty stuff i just wanted to talk a little bit about what i've been doing harry and i'm going to give you a chance to talk about what you've been doing as well because it's been an exciting summer for us and and possibly an exciting winter for you, but exciting summer for us because I've been doing some collaborations with uh, Lockland and the Zorbazorp Gaming Corporation, which has been fantastic. So hopefully by the time this episode comes out, some of the YouTube videos might start to trickle out because oh, cool. we've been we've been doing some stuff so that you might see the Green Dragon crew on video, which is not a medium we're used to. We've probably not not got the faces for video, but we'll let you decide about that one. So that's been fun. We've played... Well, I'm, I must admit, I saw you at the Arda Unleashed. Uh, I was... Uh, so the first time I've actually been able to put a face to a to a name because your Facebook profile doesn't have your picture on it. Uh, so uh, so I was like, oh wow, look, it's Jeremy. You're playing at Arda Unleashed. And I said, like, ah, that's what you look like. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I tried. I think there's one in there somewhere, but I try to confuse mm. Facebook about who I am because, um, as you probably know, I'm, I'm a teacher, but more specifically, I work with a, a lot of well-being issues. So I'm, mm. I've some of the stuff can be a little bit nasty. We've had a had an incident lately where we had another one kid assault another kid and trying to manage that has been a real pain. So we get some stuff where it's better if I don't get get hunted down on on the internet. So I try to keep that secret, but luckily my name's not actually my real name, so that's 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 all good. <laughs> uh, so we we did that. that that was great fun. Um that was when Lachlan came over to Melbourne, so traveled quite a, quite a way. It's it's a it's a big distance. And then we flew up to, to Queensland where where Lachlan is, it stayed with Lachlan for Arda Unleashed, which was a big 4-day gaming event, which was great fun. We'll definitely talk about that in the future, but we had an absolute ball there. Had so much fun, and I um secretly painted up some models for for Lachlan's Battle Companies games because I thought, well, if he, if he has to mention the Green Dragon and myself every time he plays the game because he's showing the models up, that's going to be really good advertising. So snuck in the advertising <laughs> promo product in there as a gift. It's a um, Trojan horse type thing. So good. That's a good idea. Yeah, I, I saw some of the pictures of those they're, and they're really nice. They're not just um, standard models. They're quite, some of them are conversions and they just look really good. So, yeah. Yeah, I wanted to make them as different as possible so he stands out and they're a conversation starter. So that was my, my ulterior motive for doing a nice thing. Because you can't just do a nice thing on its own. It's got to be a, got to be an ulterior motive. Absolutely, yeah. And speaking of ulterior motives, I've decided to start up a local local 
gaming group, I guess, or club. I've got the Melbourne Middle Earth narrative players because I don't think the narrative players get enough recognition. So we need to, to band together, to form a union, to go and uh, to talk and all this sort of stuff. So I've started a local group and it's gonna. it's been really good. We've had one meetup. We did lots of shy scenarios, had an absolute ball. It really went down well. So I'm looking forward to doing that. Yeah, I'm hoping to really help my local group. I've been doing a lot of stuff on the podcast, but not a lot locally. And I feel like the balance is probably not quite right. So I need to really help out the locals a bit. Yeah, I think that's that's really important, actually, if you're uh, do stuff in the community, like like podcasts or whatever, to to try and you know charity starts at home, as some people say. So you know, I, I did I did the same with my uh, slow go league, and I've actually grown um, a, a few people uh, who who are now sort of invested in the game. So I, it'd be great to actually do some narrative stuff with them because um, they're still just starting the game, so they're just getting getting their heads around the rules. And I think the, the tricky bit with narrative is that you haven't got all of the models most of the time to actually crack on with these scenarios. So now people are starting to get enough stuff. It'd be great to actually do that. So I'll have to encourage my local local scene to do the same. But it's a great idea that what you do. Yeah, I've got most of the stuff. And it's just given me an excuse to get through some scenarios and actually probably make more than I need. Because we had... Um... We had five different Shire scenarios in the first event, and that was that was really good on um, two different tables at a time. So we went through them, and we had a massive um, four-player Battle of Greenfield scenario at the end where we had two people controlling 13 orcs and then another two people controlling 19 good models, and they had an absolute ball. And, um, yeah, it, it ended up being that, that uh, Banderbrest took went to take Goldfimble's head off of his last wound, to, did two wounds to him while he was on the ground, and uh, Goldfimble's... Great girth managed to save that. Then he turned around and took out Banderbrus and ended up taking over the Shire after that. It was a very mm. fun game. Oh, that does sound like fun. I'd love to play some scenarios like that. Oh, that'd be great. Golfing ball, my favorite. Yeah, highly recommend that. That was a really fun one. Actually, they've all been really fun. I've, I'm going to get in this episode, going to have some ups and downs and that sort of stuff. But what I can say is the narrative scenarios, more often than not, have been hit out of the park and I'm really enjoying them. So, so that Scar the Shire book is fantastic. It definitely lives up to the original one. Yeah, I, I, I must say, the, just looking at them, they, they all seem really good. They're all really making me want to play them. I haven't had a chance to play very many of any of them, whether that's Gondor at War, Rohan at War, or Scaring of the Shire. But um, I've had, the couple that I have played have been really great fun. So. Yeah, no, they're, they're definitely worth doing. So what have you been doing, Harry? Well, uh, and uh, some, some people have been asking me when the next Entmoot episode is out. And uh, basically, there haven't been very many tournaments over the Christmas period and all that sort of stuff. And then the start of the year, you know, I just haven't been able to get to any tournaments. So I haven't had an Entmoot podcast for a while. Um, but there will be there will be one coming, oh, not this weekend, but next weekend. So um, so there, there will be a, the Entmoot season two, as it were, uh, for the second season of the Great British Hobbit League. So that'll be coming. But I've been doing a lot of painting and building and all that sort of stuff. And I've been doing a few more videos for my YouTube channel um which uh, just has kept, kept me occupied in the meantime just doing some time-lapse painting and things like that and a couple of battle filming some battle reports it's nowhere near on the same scale of quality as zorpa zorp um but uh, I, I i have fun doing them so I, I don't really mind doing that and it's nice to just keep you keep your toe in the water as it were keeping up to date with the hobby and all that sort of stuff so playing playing quite a lot of games um off camera and and with friends and all that sort of stuff so keeping keeping busy painting um I got the new Urukai Scout um, collection, the the um, the new uh, command set with the the two handed axe guy. It's such a great model. So I, I painted that set up, and I've, I'm just very close to finishing the last of those Urukai Scouts, and then I'll be moving on to the next next army. So I've I've 
had lots of fun, lots of fun, but um, no podcasty stuff uh, for the for the meantime. We're, we're still trying to work on the end of the slow grow league. I, I mentioned it earlier. Uh, I did a part one sometime in May, and a part two should be done soon. But there's a few people in the local area who are just struggling to finish that final game. So uh, there'll be another episode, and then we've got season two event loop coming soon. So very busy, very busy, but uh, um, not not necessarily all the same that I usually do, which is quite fun actually. I like that. Yeah, we're very lucky the Out of the Frying Pad podcast has been doing all the work for us lately because we've both been pretty slack. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, and, and good on them. I, I haven't, I don't, haven't heard the latest one yet. I know they were, they were certainly saying they were recording one about um, the uh, match play guide, um, but I've listened to all of them. They're they're, they're excellent st- uh, podcasts as well. They're a different kind of format to what I do, so I, and and to what you do often as well. Um, but because I, I sort of thought, oh, I haven't done a podcast in a long time. Should I just do a a little thing from me just going, oh, yeah, this is what I've been doing. But I thought, oh, I don't want to ruin the Entmoot style because um, I've got a very specific format for the show. So I, I'd prefer to keep them all in the same way. So it is just going to a tournament and, you know, I can uh, assume the knowledge of, of the fact that people have heard about the FAQs and all these sorts of things from you and uh, and and the, uh, the Out of the Frying Pan and Green uh, Zorpa Zorpa and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, so I, I wanted to stick with my style. Good on you, though, uh, Out in the Frying Pan. Um, I've been talking to those guys a bit about um, trying to maybe arrange a, a tournament with – I can't remember the names of all of them. I know Stu's the lead guy, but um, there's one who lives in Peterborough, which is very close to me. Um, so we're trying to see if we can work out a way of – maybe taking a, a car load of people down to Peterborough or vice versa so that we can uh, have a sort of crossover thing, which would be great fun as well. Oh, that's good. Yeah, the more crossovers, the better, I think. So that's Absolutely. Going oh, I, I should mention one more thing. Um, David from, from the Green Dragon, of course, uh, ran mm-hmm. his annual Axe and Sword tournament. So this is the second one. And this is basically in a tournament where you take an army, but your your heroes can get upgrades as they go and they can get items of an unimaginable power and all kinds of crazy stuff. And um, it was it was a great fun day. We had lots of people turn up. He ended up with like 20-something people for a local one-day tournament, which he thought he would get about six or seven. So he was really, really happy with that. And, oh, that sounds great. Yeah, it was. And I, I took the ruffian, uh, what is it, Chiefs Ruffians or something like that, um, Legendary Legion, and I was over the moon because I expected to win no games, hoping to win one, and managed to get two out of three with the the Sharkies Rogues. And the I've got the Sharkies Rogues sort of um got the got the buzz for it at the moment because I'm thinking, wait a second, I could actually make this work, perhaps maybe, and win over half my games and it'd be amazing. And I've got so many done from this Gary in the Shire that that oh, I've definitely got the ruffian bug. Yeah, try them out, try them out. Why not? I mean. It- if, if anyone can do it from the sounds of things, you can do it. You made Dunland great before Dunland was uh, was a thing. So so I, I, I would I would have faith in your abilities to, to make the ruffians worth playing. And and also it's great that, that you know, if, if you're if you're enjoying something, it'd be great to be just at a tournament where you see ruffians on the table more than you do anywhere else or even just a normal uh, match play games. It'd be great to play a diff- so a, a little bit of spice, isn't it? A little variety is the spice of life, so it'd be great. Mm, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, it's always fun to try out new things, and I, that's going to be a bit of a theme in this this episode, I think, because um, new things keep us going and they keep us interested in the game. So, Harry, let's move on to this this match play guide that's just come out. Now, this is the first time I've got actually only the digital copy of it because my store couldn't get them in, couldn't get the hard copy book in, um, oh, or really? soft copy book, whatever it is. Um, so, I oh, know it's a hard copy, but it doesn't have a hard cover. It's got a floppy cover because it was direct mm-hmm. only. So that was a, an independent store. And then um, by the time I went to, on to order, it was all sold out. So I got the digital copy, which actually ended up to be 
a bit bit cheaper as well, which is which is good. I, I like that, and uh, I don't mind it actually because it's the kind of book that that I'm probably like just having my iPad around. It's probably just pretty helpful because I don't actually really need to look at any pictures in it. Like it's got some nice pictures, but it's not one of those like art books where I'll stare at and I'll think about. It's it's just I want one page open at a time and that's it. Yeah, I, I can understand that. And actually, um, this is something that I've been talking about occasionally with people. Is It's just another book to carry. I mean, we're getting to the stage where we've got, I think, far too many books. And it's like, the, you know, you've got the rule book and the army book and the hobbit book and then the three supplements now. Then this. So I can completely understand having going digital completely for everything, just so you don't. Uh, whenever you go to a, 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 a tournament day or whatever, that you're not carrying six books around. So digital can't be uh, can't be too bad. I don't I don't think that's a bad idea. But um, I do like the book though. It is it's it's it, you know it's 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 a nice size. It reminds me. I, I don't know if you played the old fancy or forty k. It reminds me of the old um, the size of the old codexes um, from the uh, back in the day when I I think it was the Necron codex, the first one I had. Um, it's that sort of size and that sort of price as well. So it's like I think it was twelve pounds or something here. Um, so it, you know, it feels like a. It, it's not too expensive, and it, it sort of adds enough stuff that I think it's vaguely worth it. And it's useful that it's got all the old scenarios in as well, so I don't have to take all the little cards that, that are out of date and things like that around. So yeah, it's, it's I think it's pretty pretty decent. Actually. Yeah, yeah. So we'll go through it very quickly and and then to give our thoughts on it. It's basically, at, at the core of it, it's the scenarios you want to play for singles and for doubles, and then some advice about how to run a tournament. So it's it's pretty straightforward. It does what it says on the cover. It's a match play supplement. I actually think it's going to have probably a bit more information than the open play supplement, which I'm waiting on at the moment. But I think it, I think it, it does its job, and, and I do like that it's they haven't tried to really pad it out with, like, you could have had... Um, pages and pages of people's armies and photos from tournaments and all that sort of stuff to try to get it up to a high page count. But I do like they just said, yeah, just just incre- in- include what we need and then be done with it. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. I hadn't thought of um, the fact that it could have been padded out just to get, uh, you know, push it over the £15 mark or whatever. But there, there isn't a lot of chaff in here. It, it's quite small, which you could say, oh, it's a bit of a downside. It's a bit thin. There's not a lot, great lot of content. But yeah, at least it's all actually pretty relevant. There's only like... And and the stuff like like you say about the tournament rules and and what or how to run a tournament, it's all pretty pretty straightforward. It's a couple of pages, but you know it, it doesn't feel like it's unnecessarily going into huge amounts of detail. So yeah, it's, it's I still it's pretty pretty good actually. I'm surprised. I thought I, I was going to expect it to be a bit a bit of a, a naff um, edition, and that it was only going to really be a book for for the new objectives, uh, sorry, the new scenarios. But actually, it's, it's pretty good, pretty decent um, decent thing. I don't <laughs> mind having paid for it. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't regret it either. Like, I actually was probably going to give it a miss initially when I heard about some of the things in there, but but it got on the iPad, and I'm not upset that I got it. So let's start. First thing I want to talk about is it talks about some recommended styles of games, and this is pretty straightforward, so we won't go into all the details because we'll end up reading out the whole book, and it's something that you can go and purchase yourself. But what I what I always like of these ones is the the talk about the mid, the miniatures, and it's a first line is players may only use official Citadel and Forge World miniatures at the event, and all models must be fully built, based, and painted. So I don't mind the second part, although I don't think that happens at all the tournaments. But the um I think the cheeky uh, must use Citadel and Forge World miniatures. It's always funny when a company says what you have to do after you've purchased something, and it reminds me of when I get my car, it always says that you can only use parts that have been. Well, from Toyota or whatever like that, which is um, not what the mechanics tell me at times. Yeah, it's it's a bit odd that um, that they always go for these sort of these very obvious rules about um, about playing with certain minis and all that sort of stuff. But 
I guess I guess that they're gonna they're gonna try and enforce this rule as much as they can and reinforce that you know if you don't buy our toy soldiers then obviously it's not the real game and you'll be you'll be letting the people down and all this sort of stuff yeah, so yeah. you know fair fair enough but it's that's that's just I, I always think it's a bit of a waste of time because anyone who's reading that isn't going to think oh, oh gosh I, I must use it otherwise it won't be the real game so it's a bit of a waste of a paragraph but hey you know. Yeah. That, that, let them get away with it if they want to put that. I'm, I'm sure someone's tapping someone on the shoulder saying, hey, you've got to put this in. This is really important. And years and years ago, there's all kinds of rumors like the, um, that if Lord of the Rings models were mixed by players, not by the company, but by players afterwards with other models for conversions, that their Games Workshop would lose the license, which is, of course, insanity because like, who cares what someone does with a model afterwards? You can chop it up and like do whatever with it and it's not it's not games workshops problem or problem or fault but um but yeah they there's there's lots of these they they quite like to to be a bit about this but for i don't know about your scene but but regularly we have people that they grab like historic miniatures and chop them up and add them into their armies and all kinds of bits from other places and away away we go it's usually fine if you're at a games workshop store or whatever as long as you don't don't kick up a stink and tell everyone else to go buy other models they don't really have a problem but it's really not a big deal it's it's just no I mean, I, I'm. I think I'm. I've softened on this over the, the recent sort of months and years. Because uh, when I first started, I was like, "Oh yeah, you've got to you've got to play with the right models and and all this sort of stuff." Because because there is something about having a you know Minas Tirith warriors, actual Minas Tirith warriors on the table instead of you know some sort of feudal French warriors or something from another rule system. But I think I've softened a little bit on it because. I'd, I'd prefer people just play the game and not be, you know, babies about this sort of stuff. Because, um, uh, yes, it can take you out of the, the moment and all that if you, you're playing the wrong thing. But ultimately, you know, grow up uh, to an extent. Just just play with the toy soldiers you like. But I do um, I do think it around here, um, it sort of probably stems from the fact that for a long time there was the game was in a pretty pretty uh, tough situation. It wasn't being supported by the the um, uh, the company very much. So people were saying, support your Hobbit hobby, uh, buy the actual miniatures, play with the actual Lord of the Rings miniatures, but uh, then then it might rekindle this this system. So, and, and I can understand that, and I think it's probably a bit of a hangover from those days where you know mm. buying a box of Minas Tirith warriors actually you know might have made a difference in in terms of Games Workshop trying to relaunch the game and things like that. I don't think there's an issue with that anymore. No, no, I don't think so. And look, I think most people end up getting a mixture anyway, like. Um, I know David's been using in his Fiefdom's army. He's got a mixture of Games Workshop and some some historic models because he just likes the the different armor styles in there, and no one's got a problem with that. And he he's buying as much models as anyone else is, so he's definitely supporting his hobby in that way. But he's it just get some variety here and there. I'm sure I'm going to add some historic models into my Ruffian army as I expand it out. Because at, at the moment, I've got like, whatever it is, 50-something Games Workshop ones, but I'm just so bored of the same 12 poses. or, or No, it was only six poses, and trying to chop them up and turn them into stuff. So I've just got to got to make some more to, to break it up a bit. Yeah, I think that's the case. It's Ruffians and Fiefdoms, uh, to, to, um, perhaps Dunland, although that's changing slightly, isn't it, with the new variety. But Ruffians and Fiefdoms, you know, are trying to do an army of clansmen of Lamadon, or, you know, you've, especially now they've combined the boxes with the axe people, I can't remember, or, or vice versa. You know, you're, you're getting three of, of Lamadon and three of the axe men, and then if you want to have a whole army of axe men, you've got to do like, and they all look the same. So I can completely understand people going, you know what, I'm going to just get some plastic axe guys from warlord games or whatever and and use those instead you know have a few of the other mm. ones the, the gw ones as well but yeah anyway yeah yeah so that's that's just something i found interesting and it's um mm. 
yeah, yeah. I, I, I always like those ones. But most of the other stuff is actually really, really good, especially for people who haven't run an event before. So they talk about all kinds of things, how to score. They give an example about how to match up people, which is actually really good because a lot of people don't know how to do these matchups. And I know there's lots of software out there. And I know, um, is it Andrew Cox that's running um, a really nice piece of software that a lot of them are using? Yeah, he does something called Tawny, uh, T-O-R-N.ee which is uh, uh, the one they use for Articon in um, this country. So it's, it's, I think those sorts of things are very useful if you've got a big event where you've got, you know, 30 plus 40, that sort of stuff. I'd, I'd imagine most of the time the, what, what's in this book is more than suitable to, to help you work out who's, who's going for who and all that because it can be pretty straightforward with a spreadsheet, I'd have thought. Yeah. Now, so basically on page six now, there's a part that interests me, and that's the points limits, number of games, round times, and board size stuff. And initially, I thought I was going to hate this because I, I've played other game systems. There's one that I played quite a bit called uh, Malifaux, and the, the, the mm-hmm. game designers had no clue about how long a game actually took. So what they kept saying was things like, oh, yeah, a standard game will take you 75 minutes, and it'll take almost three hours Like by the time you got through it. So they must have been making either no decision whatsoever or keeping the game so simple that it didn't matter. But we've got... Mm-hmm. We've got a list of common points levels, which is which I really love that there's a lot of different points levels in here as well, because I think the game works if you keep playing at different levels. I think that's fun. Um, games per day, I think that's great to say that, hey, if, you, if you're doing more than 600 points, keep it to, to three games because you're not going to finish them in time, which I think is absolutely true. The time limits as well, like for 750, 2015 minutes, that's actually okay. If you're playing for that amount of time, you can probably get it done. And I was actually really worried about this because we've been having... Um, like two hours for, for 750, 800, even 1,000 points. And that, the problem is that once the organizer reads out the round or whatever and you've gone and you've shaken your hands and had a chat to the person, you're down to an hour and a half or hour and 40 minutes. So it's really tough to finish it. And timing out can be a real issue. If you're running a tournament and, and half the players time out, it, it doesn't leave a good taste in everyone's mouth. So, yeah, it's really really nice that there's, there's some decent time there. It's, it's, I think it's realistic. And the board sizes are good as well, like just some examples. Yeah, I, I think you're totally right. And, and I was I was thinking that, you know, the round times could be way off. But I think because Jay um, plays loads of tournaments, um, obviously the writer, if you're not, not aware, um, mm. then he he's he, he knows how long games take. And I think he's he's been quite reasonable and, and uh, you know, fair about this, that, that obviously you don't want to, have to give too much time to, to so you can't actually play a number of a certain number of days and uh, games in a, an event but uh, no it looks quite good and um I, I don't know if you remember the last year at Articon there was all, all the controversy about timings and all this sort of stuff these sort of things can really help tournaments that are, they really want to squeeze enough uh, stuff into two days to make a, a sort of feel like a fully rounded tournament um, so because you because you want to have it if you especially if you're advertising a two-day tournament you want to be able to say I've got this many games, it's going to be great. Mm. Um, and but if you're tr- saying, oh, you yeah, know, we're going to do them all in one one hour and forty five minutes, but it's a seven hundred fifty point thing, it's just not realistic. So um, so yeah, it ends up squeezing everyone's um, everyone's enjoyment a bit. So here at least you've got right. Okay, you want seven games in two days, make it six hundred points or for 500 points. Otherwise, it's just not feasible. And I like that recommendation. Obviously, you don't have to follow this rule, but at least there's a recommendation there. Yeah, no, and if you want to change it up, you might have to tell people as well that, hey, we're going for fast ones, so design your armies around playing fast or, or whatever because, yeah, you've got, you've got some thoughts in there. Um, just out of interest, do you know Articon, they usually do the, the seven games over two days, I believe, because you've got to count the finals as part of that, which in this one's mm-hmm. recommending 600 points. Are they lowering to the... To, 
to from seven fifty at all, or are they? Yes, to... they are. Yeah, yeah. I I'm, I I spoke to uh, James who, ran, who runs it um, a while back, and he said uh, they're definitely going to lower the point. I think it might have already been announced. Actually, I can't remember, but um, they de- he definitely said I'm I'm going to lower the points after after last year because um, mm. I think he he understood that everyone was saying the same thing that either we didn't get to finish our game or that we did finish our game, but then there's so little time between games that uh, that you end up sort of exhausted after and completely burnt out after the four game day. So yeah, they're definitely going to reduce the um, points limit. I can't remember whether it's been announced officially not or not, but um, it, uh, it's definitely happening. I'm sure of it. Oh, great. No, that's, that's good. And it's good that uh, we've got a community. There's people seem to be um, taking advice from each other. And that that's a really good thing. Cause this could have just been done like by someone on high and, and said, this is what it's supposed to be. But it's clear that, that Jay's in the, the community and, and has played mm. some of these points levels and knows what's happening. And, and that's all good. Personally, I would have loved to see a points level lower than this. I would love to see like a 350 or 400 on a smaller board size, just to um, just a hint that you can actually go a smaller size as well. So even like um, 350, give it an hour and make it a, a 3x4 board or a, something like that, just to just to break it up because we do that quite a bit. And also maybe maybe a slightly bigger size for the 800, but it's pretty good. Yeah, I think the, the board size is an odd one, isn't it? Because the, the scenarios often show it as looking at like a 6x4 board, um, but it's all, all recommending it all to be bought 4x4 four four size and then only at 1,000 points is it 6x4. So, uh, yeah, it, but the, also the small points limit would have been it, – it's a good idea because there, there is a, there's a, there's a, th- a thought in most gaming systems when you start it, what's the normal points limit? How uh, you know how long is it going to take the game? And actually, if you say, "Oh well, yeah, you you can play this game at three hundred, and it's not like bad, it's not broken, it's interesting because it's a skirmish game, it works at really low points level." So yeah, it's probably a good good idea. But hey, five hundred is pretty low anyway, so that's fine. Oh, I agree. I agree. I'm glad they've got five hundred. I'm glad they didn't just stick to to seven fifty or eight hundred or what a lot of the big tournaments play. Um, can't complain about it too much. My suggestions are only very minor there. The mm. next interesting part, I'll skip through some of the other stuff, which you can read through when you've got time. The scenario pool system. So we've got now a large amount of scenarios. So they've started to group them together by like common themes or common play styles with the idea that, that potentially you can say, I want a variety of scenarios. If I take one from each pool, I can get a variety of things to do. It's not all just like stay in the middle, stay in the middle type scenarios. Or um, or vice versa, you could just say, we're only playing our event from pool one and pool five, so design your army accordingly. Yeah, they, this is this is probably the best um, the the best update with this, um, and it's very simple. I mean, we could, and a lot of TOs kind of already do this. I know I did it for my tournament that I kind of rigged it so that we had either Lords of Battle or Contest of Champions, and either you know this sort of stuff, so that you try and balance it. But um, it's just it's a, it's a nice, efficient way of doing it. I do think that I mean we'll get into this a bit more when we talk about scenarios, but I do think that there are a lot more um, stuff about that requires spreading your army about nowadays, which I think. Um, dilutes the power of you know big big hero lists and stuff like that. But but the the idea of mixing the the pools together, uh, yeah, it just means that you're not going to end up with that annoying tournament where you know you draw Lords of Battle and Contest champ- of Champions and you play against Sauron in the first one and Smaug in the second one. You know that would be it's just so annoying when that happens and it and it it's it's an unlucky for people who are you know really good players um, who just get a bit sort of screwed over by those those draws. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I do like that. Some of the pools that, that look like they're interesting. There's a, there's Maelstrom of Battle scenarios, which I'll talk about in a moment. But objective scenarios, maneuvering, hold objectives, kill the enemy, and unique scenarios. I like the unique one because it's just um, 
throw them all together, the ones that didn't fit in the other pools. And I actually think there's yeah. some really cool ones in that pool. So if I ever run an event, that's the pool I'm going for, the unique scenarios, because I think there's some fun there. I was going to say, the, 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 you, you, when you suggested uh, you know choosing a pool and playing just from that one, I, I quite like that idea, but I have a feeling it's probably going to be more likely that people are going to do run tournaments, certainly in, in here in the UK, of, you know, we'll play one game from each pool. And then therefore you might go, oh, no, that means I'm not going to have Fog of War, Clash by Moonlight and Assassination in one um, in one uh, day, which are, are my favourites. I love Fog of War and Clash by Moonlight because they just add, add something different. And, it's, and the same with all of them, really, because I just like, I like them all, to be honest. We'll get into the um, scenarios in a second, but I really do like a lot of the new scenarios and, and how they mix together with the old ones. Is, it works really well. Yeah, look, if, if just look at this now, I've had had a decent look at them. If I was going to run an event, I would I would go for pool two and pool six are my favourites, I think. So you've got the capture objective ones, which I think are great because you're running all over the board. So domination, capture control, mm-hmm. breakthrough, and then pool six, fog of war, clash by moonlight, assassination. That would be my event. But maybe I wouldn't tell the players. Maybe I'm going to select them randomly, but then not select them randomly. <laughs> I like that kind of idea. Rig it so that it's not actually random. Love it. Yeah, David was telling me about how one of his events, he um he was drawing, you know those cards that the 12 scenarios won at one point? He ended up getting like one and a half sets or so because someone had left theirs behind. So he just rigged it. So he had the 12, um, he took out the ones he didn't like and put doubles up of things like Fog of War so it was more likely to occur. <laughs> I love that idea. I want to do that. That sounds great. <laughs> so everyone thought he was just doing the 12, but it ended up being the ones he wanted to do, which is <laughs> clever. Very good, very good. So just the 12, I'm just going to go through, and I just want to say, um, at the moment, I was a little bit disappointed they weren't updated. I can sort of understand some of the reasoning behind it. Some of it I don't understand, but I just want to go through the first 12, and I just want to say whether I like it or not, and I want you to do the same thing, and I'm just, I wonder if it's <clears> the same things, ones we like and ones we don't. Um, okay. You can say like love, or you can say hate, or whatever, if you want to go a bit more extreme. But first of all, number one, <laughs> domination. This has been my favorite for a long, long time, so I'm going to say love. I'm gonna, I, I like I like domination. Mm, I wouldn't yeah. say I love it. No, no. I'm just gonna say that for just the one domination I, is probably the only one I could play like six games of in a row and still be happy with it because it, it does everything I wanted to do. Encourages movement tactically. It's everything. Every arm is okay. Uh, number two to the death. Now this one is I've learnt it now. It's the banner one. So you've got to go <laughs> yeah. and, and take out the banner. So I, I've got my own codes for them, but I actually understand them now. It's it's only taken me like ten years or so. But this one uh, I like. Yeah, I think I like to the death as well. Yeah, the the banner one. I the, I, I don't like that you need to have a banner, but I, um, I, I don't mind it. It's it's fun to play. Yeah, I've got no problem. If it comes up, I don't say, oh, no, not again. I, I, I'm i fine with that mm-hmm. one. Hold ground, which is run to the middle. This is a Maelstrom deployment. I wish there was a change to Maelstrom where, even if it just said had the option, organizer chooses how it works out. But I like the idea of alternating deployments rather than someone puts down all of theirs and then the other person puts down all of theirs. I think that can be a little bit swingy. But I actually like this one. I love the the idea that coming on different parts of the board and all going to the middle because it creates some really interesting matchups along the side. I just think it's um, the poor person that has to go first, has to spend all their might to to basically end up going in one spot so the other person doesn't just gang up on them. Yeah, I, I like hold ground. I don't love it. Um, but I, I, the, the Maelstrom is one of those ones that I lo- it's a love-hate relationship, isn't it? Because on the one hand, sometimes it's great. It's great fun. Um, on the other hand, you think, oh, God, why has this happened? I recently played a game... Um, where I, I was doing a Angmar list. I had Birdo and three trolls, a, 
um, a, a shade and it had a, a Barrow White with some orcs and all this sort of stuff. And the Barrow White, of course, came on and the one bit that was on his own and he didn't have any might. So it was, it was just very frustrating to have my orcs and Barrow White smashed by most of a Lothlorien army in one go. So that was annoying. But, you know, these things happen and I don't mind that. I like, I still like whole ground. I'm okay with these things happening. I don't, I don't mind the Maelstrom. I would have... I... I sort of wanted it changed. Like that's that's what I was hoping for. I was hoping for okay, we're going to reprint the scenarios, change it up a little bit, but it hasn't happened, and that's one where I was slightly disappointed to start with. But I'm over that one. That's that's fine. Uh, number four okay. is Lords of Battle. I love the the hero rule for this one. How if you kill a hero in a fight, you can get a point of might back. I think that's really dynamic. I hate the tallying points. It takes so long to tally um, the things that count for it, things that don't count for it. Sometimes they do. So I don't actually like this one because they're, they're counting. See, I, I love Lords of Battle. It is a bit of a faff um, to count stuff up and keeping track of horses that you've killed and not killed and fate and all that can be a bit of a, a bit of a struggle, especially for newer players. But I just there's something to me that I, I just love the the idea. I, my my kind of fight, battles involve you know smashing the enemy. So yeah, crack on with that. I love I love Lords of Battle. Yeah, look, I like the hero rule for it, and I do like that you can deploy right in the face. So so you always think that shooting's going to make a huge difference, but I find this one always ends up being a combat one anyway. So look, I don't I'm not against playing it. I do think it's very swingy depending on your army setup. So sometimes you get a Lords of the Battle where you just look at it and say, I can't win this one. The only way I can win is to, to kill the whole army. And that, then it, because it ends on break, potentially, you might never get the chance to do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, so, but I, I play with Sauron a lot, so I like Lords of Battle. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Well, that's the first one we differ in opinion on. Nice. Uh, number five, Reconnoiter. I... I like this one. I like the Reconnoiter. I know a lot of people don't. I like movement. That's a good thing. I don't know why we need to enter on the board because it already takes a long time to get right across the board. So I would have, pref- I, like, I was surprised it wasn't changed to, to make a deployment or even say one warband deploys and the rest come on afterwards or something like that just to, to make it a little bit uh, more dynamic. And I know that the FAQ covers the, the craziness about whether things go on and off again and it's changed what it is. But overall, I like this one because it forces movement. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Actually, I think recon should start uh, at a twelve inches on the board edge because I, I know the, the the rolling of the reinforcements roll to make to so that your your army splits up a little bit. But I don't think that really makes a great deal of difference most of the time. So uh, I, I prefer to just start it on because there's so many times and you sort of it just feels like you're moving stuff and nothing's actually happening. So you spend like the first twenty five minutes of a game. Um, just moving stuff and I'm not I don't love recon it's fine um, maybe because I like to play with slower armies usually I don't like I, I'm not like my dwarves and all that sort of stuff so it's a downside for me but I do like the idea of it I, I, I don't I, yeah I'd say I like recon yeah, look, I think dwarf players go play it. It's actually it's actually fun as dwarves because they can usually hold things up pretty well, and you've got other movement tricks like heroic combats and marches and all this sort of yeah. stuff you can do. So I don't think it's as bad. Like dwarf players seem to talk like they can't move at all. I've, I've played <laughs> Hobbit armies and I've I've won reconnoiters. You can you can do it. You've just got to make sure that you you place things and keep the pressure on and use your shooting to to get the lanes going. Like it, it's an inferiority thing, isn't it? The, the yeah. one inch thing. Yeah, one inch movement is just a. Uh, oh, oh no, so much. Yeah, you just, you just can't <laughs> overcome it at all. Once again, would have loved to change. It's it's still playable. It's fine. Clash by Moonlight, which is changed in the I think one edition ago was ill met by Moonlight, but it must be the um the Shakespeare has just been sick of the quote from I think what was it Midsummer's Night's Dream where the ill met by Moonlight for 
Something about the yeah, I, spirits. I think it is. I understand that that it's that, that there was some sort of copyright thing, but I thought you could quote Shakespeare and it not be um, not be an issue. But because you know it's been five hundred years since Shakespeare was around, so I'm surprised that that's the case. But hey, um, it must be something to do with that. I'm sure someone said that at one point. I think but I think I, someone I, was probably making something up. I I think it's just as much I, that that someone just couldn't remember the name and changed it up, or maybe they're just sick of uh, calling it the Shakespeare one. Who knows? Fair enough. I like Clash by Moonlight. I said earlier, this one it just it it just changes the dynamic of the game, and and I love the scenario that does that. The reduced visibility, meaning that your magic and and shooting can't can't work at over twelve inches. That's great. I love that, and and the fact that you're rewarding killing heroes means that you just you change the way you play the game. I just I I really like Clash. I I love a Clash by Moonlight. I think. Yeah. Look, I. I really like it, I think. I don't not so much love it. It's interesting, the Siege Engine rules come in at some point. I don't know when that's come in, so that's in, that's a strange one. I saw at an adjacent table in one of the events that someone was arguing that because Legolas can't modify his to hit values, he can see through the dark or something like that, which I thought was an interesting interpretation. But So there's sneaky ways to get past 12 inches. But what I like about this one is it forces you to get close, and I think they often get really good games that people have to get close. Shooting is still really devastating in this one because of that silly um, you can't dodge or, or whatever their, their justification is. It Yeah, so, plus so one sh- rolling to wound, yeah. So shooting That's... shooting's not... like If you take a shooting army in this one, you're actually pretty happy because it's, it's, you mm. get bonuses to it, and you can still run away and, and still shoot and try and draw them in. I quite like it. I think it's a good one. Any any game that gets people close together is is probably a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. Okay, next one, number seven. Seize the prize. This is the, the race to the middle, pick up the object, and then camp with it, essentially, or try and run off the board. I don't like this one because there's way too many things that can pick it up first turn, and then you pretty much know who's won the game straight away. Yeah, I hate this one. I hate it. It's uh, I, I've done, and um, I've played a few variants of it now that mitigate that a little bit um i know uh will champion who um won the great british Hobbit league last year i think I'm, I'm right in saying um he he did a um he did a variant where you have three prizes that are worth a third of what, what this one is each and all this sort of stuff that's and i think that way it works i did one where i had a, a prize that could jump out of people's hands and and move around the board after they've captured it and stuff like that so that that works but just the the dying i hate i hate the eagle coming in and flying in and going up oh, that's it and then flying over your army and then ending the game in 10 minutes that's just boring yeah yeah no I, I agree with this one i think i think one that you probably don't want it to be able to move off the board i think having it to in the deployment zone is probably enough so it still has to fight i think mm. um so that would be something i think have this one that uh, i just i just wish that Maybe even getting to the quarter is worth more or something like that because this one's it's an okay game if you fight to that quarter because yeah. stuff has time to come back. But uh, but in a tournament game, usually not. Usually it's it's literally you, you spend the heroic move off in the middle. You, run, you go at full speed as fast as you can. You get the objective. You dig it up. You put your whole army around it, and then you just slowly push forward and get over halfway, and you're done. Yeah, and and the the issue is of course that that. The getting off the opponent's board. If if you do have the bat, you do have the eagle or whatever. You, you can so easily avoid doing anything and just end the game. Uh, I think you're right. If it was seven points for just having the opponent, uh, the objective in the opponent's board half, then that would make it completely different because then you can chase them down after a certain amount of time. So it, if it didn't have the ending the um, ending the game dynamic, I think that would be better. Yeah, I agree. Okay, number eight is Contest of Champions. Two in a row. I don't, oh, but I don't like this one, and I don't like this one because of two reasons. One, the deployment is way too restrictive in the, that you've got 
for some armies, they can kill a leader pretty much straight away first turn with this one, with, especially if you've got some magic support or something like that. You can paralyze them, compel them, whatever, and, and just take, the, take them down. So I, I don't like that component of it, and I don't like that once the, the hero dies, it's it's gone. Like th- That's your game for you. You can't come back from that. So I don't like this one. It would be such an easy change to, to maybe have some, some distance between them for the deployment. So a little bit of space that people had to do it. Still have them for hits in combat only. Don't don't have Legolas shooting at the back of the board or something like that. But I know Kylie ran one at Masters for us where uh, once your leader died, you got like a two-point kill penalty, but you just an- announced someone else as the champion and you just kept going. And that was really good because, yeah, they'll kill your hero, but then someone else would take over and do some killing as well. I I really like contest champions. I don't I, I I don't see that the the um, deployment is much of a, as much of an issue as you seem to say. Like the three inch bubble is fine because you can just put a line of people in front of Saruman or or your Galadriel or whoever you think is going to be able to be smashed in combat. So I don't think it's a I don't think it's as much of a of an issue as 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 you seem to say. I because I, I, you can you can then you can wander them back and they don't actually have to fight in combat. I guess yeah they have to make the kills somewhere, but you can also stop the you know the aragorns or whatever of the world to from doing a bit of effort um with if you've got a magical leader so i i, I like the idea that you can have a big fight in the center and and of dodge fights and it it rewards the the player who who wants to get their big hero stuck in if you've yeah. got dane against aragorn or whatever um then and your dane's a bit worried or aragorn's a bit worried or whatever they're having to back away and therefore they're not getting the kill tally so i i, I think that that helps. It, it rewards the the risk the, uh, the the risk taker, which I think I am. I like I, my natural instinct with the big heroes: chuck him in and have a bit of fun. So maybe uh, maybe it's just because I like that kind of game. I just think there's too many like um like the nature's wrath or magic spells or whatever that just say right your leaders do nothing the whole game and they do it they do it almost effortlessly because the uh, normally they'd have to work to get into range of it. And this one, yeah, it's just so close mm. that you can get hit straight away. The Barrow Whites are in range to start paralyzing from turn one, all this sort of stuff. So, uh, yeah, look, I see where you're coming from there. I just, I wish it had more choice because I, I just, I don't like the, the no choice whatsoever. I like having some choice and I like mm. having it so that if you do get that flash kill on the hero, it's not game over. This is one of the few games, um, Caesar Prize is the other one, that you can, you pretty much know a result almost turn one sometimes. And I think that, that yeah. can be disappointing. I think that that yeah, that's true. Maybe it's just because I, um, I I don't know. I I play with big heroes often, so I'm quite I quite enjoy it, and I haven't often come up against the hard counters to, you know, the the Angmar lists, for example, which have the Barrow Whites and have the Witch Kings and all this sort of stuff that can really cause sorts of issues. So uh, maybe it's just that I've had pretty positive experiences with it generally. But I can see why it would be annoying, but I don't have a problem with it. I quite I quite like it. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Good. Another disagreement. That's good. It's good to have a different voice. <laughs> Capture and control. So this one is a modified domination where you can tag them instead of doing this. I like this one. I might even like it more than domination because it doesn't have that... You know when you're an evil army and you're on four objectives and you've got it and then you take your one break test and you lose every single objective? Uh, it doesn't have that in it where you tag them and you've got them. So I, I like that as someone who plays evil quite a lot. It adds a different challenge. The the restricted deployment for the for the objectives, I don't think I care about. But yeah, I, I like this one. Yeah, the, the deployment's an odd one, isn't it? Because it's very infrequently a problem to have uh, your warbands deploying in the middle. This is one where you roll one, two, three, and you have to deploy in the middle 12, which is kind of often an advantage, I think, for this one, because uh, then you want to be able to tag more objectives. So I, I don't get that. But yeah, I agree. I like capture and control. And um, there's something about the fact that you can 
tag an objective and then move on from it and then tag another one and then you kind of there's this movement of, of kind of a merry-go-round of of uh, of movement on both sides following each other which just creates uh creates lots of different fun movement stuff so yeah i like it yep yep so do i it's it's a good one uh 10 heirlooms of ages of past this is another maelstrom one i believe uh, yep this is mm-hmm. the one that this is a, a controversial one we played this one at um Ardor Unleashed, and there were so many complaints about it. A lot of people didn't like it. I like this one because of the uncertainty. I wish there was a change to the Maelstrom still. I still don't like the Maelstrom deployment as it is, but I love the, the go tag, the objectives, and, and find out what they are. I like that one in terms of uncertainty, but then also flexibility of game plans, and I know that, that a lot of people don't. So too bad other people. I like this one. Yeah, I don't really like it because so often you get to a situation where um, a, a roll of a six can make, uh, you know, uh, change the dynamic of a game and give someone a massively unfair advantage. So uh, it, it just feels very frustrating sometimes. And you think, oh, yeah, okay, I've I've played this perfectly. I've castled off my relic. I'm going off to tag the others. And then someone gets the wrong relic. You roll a six on the wrong thing. And then suddenly the the careful planning you've you've put into to make sure you've got the uh, you know the best advantage can be undone by a one in six chance which frustrates me but i, I think some people have started using these little um, in one of the general's objective pack things there's there's like a little picture of Gollum that has a ring on one side and uh, sometimes it's Gollum without a ring but basically that rather than rolling a dice you have the objective is always the actual one if that makes sense i'm trying yeah to no it i understand, I understand uh, exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So, so rather than it being a role, it's always going to be that objective. So it makes you play a little bit differently. But, but the role, the dice roll, it just, oh, it's just so annoying. It's just so annoying. <laughs> no, I, well, yeah, yeah. It, look, it does annoy people, and I think I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think it's good to have a couple uncertain ones where your game plan has to be flexible. I think a lot of these scenarios, you pretty much have exactly the same game plan every time you play them. So I like the uncertainty of the the heirlooms of ages past, and I like the maneuvering. And yes, you get some games that are, that are funny about that, but you just get some funny ones in the other ones as well. I think the Maelstrom probably compounds it a little bit. I think it's good that it has it. I think it's good that you can go and, and go hunting in lots of objectives if you want. But I I feel like, once again, the, the advantage for, for first and second is a little bit too much there. So interesting, interesting. Yeah. Another disagreement. Fog of War. Okay, hopefully we don't disagree on this one. Fog of War is probably my favorite new one that, that's come out for it. It's very similar to an old Masters one that, that Kylie developed where you have lots of hidden objectives and things, and it's quite streamlined. I, I really like it. I like the the fact that you've got some some like bluffing in there. I like that, that if you want to go all out and say, right, no one passes the middle line and I'm going to kill all the heroes, you're guaranteed to win, but you probably don't have the time to do that. I just I just love this one. No, I hate it. Jeremy, I hate it. Oh, boo. <laughs> no, no, I don't at all. I don't. It's absolutely the one isn't it uh, there's something that what's great about it is that it's um in the last turn you still have no idea what's going to happen yeah sometimes by that point people have made it pretty clear what they're doing but if you're playing against someone who is being smart about it they keep keep it keep you guessing until the last moment and you're not quite sure what the points tally is and then there's this moment where you un- you turn your bit of paper over you you reveal what you've been taming for and you're like yeah it's, it's just it keeps it tense until the last moment and it's it's, it's the opposite of aliens of ages past or season prize where it, you know you know from all contest of champions where you know pretty early on who's gonna who's gonna win this one and it, this is all it, you've always got something to play for which is just makes for a better game mm. imagine a, an heirlooms of ages past where you didn't roll to see what it was until the end of the game that would be um a totally different scenario i'm not saying it'll be balanced but wouldn't that wouldn't mm. that change things where you have to ca- like go for as many as possible and then hope that you got the objective at the end 
That would be interesting. Hmm. Food for thought. <laughs> yeah, 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 it is, yeah. Maybe, maybe someone who wants to t- be adventurous can try that out. Let us know how it goes. Mm. Um, Storm the Camp Last, the original ones. This one, I really like in theory. What I don't like about it is that the deployment zones make you so far away that it takes so long to get any results. And this one, you have to move so fast on. I like the scenario. I don't like the deployment. Yeah, I, I sort of agree. And um, the... The issue I always have with this one is that um, you end up basically having a fight in the middle and it usually comes down to broken and um, wounds and all that sort of stuff. And the, the, the camp often doesn't play a point uh, in it. I, I, I can't remember a time when I've played this game and, and it actually ended up with my camp or the opponent's camp being stolen. Maybe it's just because I have a sl- sort of usually sloggy armies, so I end up in the middle anyway. But it does it does feel like the, it's not quite right in some way, and I don't know how they can solve that because the idea is great, but it just doesn't often work for me, sadly. Here's my suggestion. Uh, yes. um, I, look, I think it works really well at low levels because you can start breaking through it and uh, move forward. So I think that would be... Point, point, low points is good. I would push the deployment zone so you've got some more space to, to go through straight away. So you start away from your camp. You still have the camp at the back. I would make it so that you're... Um, you're unbreakable in the opposite camp instead of your own camp. So it encourages you to yeah, go that forward. Makes more sense, yeah. And I would do even something like um something silly like in the opposite camp, the the heroes I don't know, I don't know. I'm just making this totally up on the fly, but get like free heroic combats or something to really reward you for going forward. Because my concern with this one is that too often people say, I'm just gonna play for a draw. Maybe even just a point where um, just by having someone near the camp, you've got a point, even though you don't have more. I think it's is this one you have to have outnumbered, don't you? You have to have captured it. Um, something like that, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. I wish there was there was yeah. just something that said, if you have more models across the halfway point, you got just a point, like literally a tiebreaker point, just to force you to not just stay back in camp. I think that would probably probably help it as well, because I think this one doesn't encourage you to move enough. It encourages yeah, just draws. Yeah, I've definitely seen... People, yeah, exactly. I was going to say, I've definitely seen people kind of almost say, "Should we play for the draw?" Uh, and this, and I think, oh, that's a bit of a. If it's the problem with the scenario, if it means that people are literally saying, "Oh, well, this will probably just be a draw," then at the start of the game, that's that's a bit boring. Don't want that. Yeah, especially if it's a late round of a tournament. Because what I found, exactly, um, I, I played one of them, and I, I was ahead of my opponent on points. But if they got a draw, they knew they would podium. So they basically said they just camped and didn't move at all, and and. I, there's no way I was going to get through them, so I just had to stand back and take some pot shots at them. And like it was the most boring draw ever, and I won that tournament, and I didn't feel satisfied at all because the last game was just a nothing game, and my opponent should have gone hard at me and tried to beat me because they could have even gone for first place, but they just decided that a podium was enough, so they were just going to sit there and go for the draw and, and hold their ground, which was interesting. Mm, yeah, that's. I think that's it. Is it? That's why I'd probably say I don't like Storm the Camp, even though I like the idea. Yep. No, I I still like it because I feel like if you win it, it feels like a real achievement. So I, I kind of like it. It's a good challenge. But I, yeah, I would I would want to improve, and I was once again surprised that one wasn't changed at all. So there's a few that I want to change, but that was probably because like, I, I want some things changed for them. It's just simple that way. Yeah, and I can understand. I, I mean, now we've finished all the original 12, it makes sense to say, well, I, I, it'd be nice to have seen them all change, but... With the with the main rule book having them uh, the objective uh, sorry the generals thingy packs, so many people have got copies of these already kicking around. 
and that changing them for this book would be very confusing and mean that, you know, some people are saying, oh, no, but this is how this scenario works. And then, oh, no, this is how this one is. You've got to buy the new book. It, it, I, I like the fact that you're not forced to buy this new book just to get the uh, sli- slightly changed updates on the scenarios and stuff. Uh, so it, it, it doesn't it means that a, a beginner can go, I've got the main rule book and I actually have all the rules to play the game rather than, oh, yes, you will, you actually have to spend another £15 to buy this and this has got the new rules in it and, uh, you know, all that sort of stuff. And I hate, I hate it when game systems force beginners to buy hundreds and hundreds of different books or dozens of different books to, to play the game properly. And at least, at least it doesn't discourage newbies that way. Yeah, look, I understand that, but then, like, I, yeah, I know the buying's probably the key point here, but they're not afraid to change big things in the FAQs and things. So, in terms of that confusion, maybe if they just said the original twelve were from the book and then gave us instead of those twelve reprints, gave us maybe a couple more new ones as well, would have been probably satisfying if they did do it. I think the reprints are probably the interesting part for me. It was such an opportunity to fix some of them up. Um, I think they fixed a the typo yeah. in one of them. There's no more of the Cotri points around, but other than that, no change. Yeah, totally agree. Now we get to get to go to the exciting part. We've got the new scenarios, Harry. I've been been looking forward to these. This is basically why I purchased the book, the next six pages or so. So there's um, number 13 is Command the Battlefield. Once again, a Maelstrom. Once again, we've talked about Maelstrom. I don't think we need to mention our qualms about that or my qualms about that. This one, basically, you have to, have to capture quarters of the battlefield. So uh, And the, the, the center's dead, so you've got to actually go and, and take some sides. I haven't played it yet. I like the sounds of it because, once again, it encourages movement. You have to be in multiple places, and you can't just sit right in the center and take them all. You can. You can you can play in the center for a while and then last turn try and shoot out, but you've got to be careful about when the game ends as well. It ends at a quarter, so if someone breaks really quickly, it might end a turn before you expect to or, or something else. So I like the sound of this one so far. I'm, I'm a little concerned about this one. Um, I like the idea. The idea sounds great. But I'm, I can just see there being issues with measuring the middle and measuring the, uh, the the sort of quarter of the board, and so like, and and then people saying, "Oh yeah, I'm in. I'm definitely in the quarter." Uh, before, you know, so and then agreeing, "Oh yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I agree. You're in the quarter." And then, uh, you know, as we finish the game, oh, we've measured it. Oh well, actually, you're not quite in the quarter, and all this sort of stuff. I can just see there being issues with ruling. Um, you know what, what? Whether people are actually over the line or not, and um, I like—I love the idea, but I can just see straight away this is going to cause arguments. Oh, I disagree with you so much. So I'm going to start an argument disagreeing that it's going to start an argument. <laughs> uh, Go ba- on then. Basically, what we do for these sort of scenarios is, as we move, we say which quarter we're in. So we'll say, I'm moving, and I'm in this quarter. And you look at it, and the person mentions, say, "Come on, you're taking the piss out, and we'll just move it a bit forward," or. Like, that's fine. And away you go. So you always do it before. So we usually discuss beforehand. Um, sometimes you have to say, I'm on the middle, but if you push me back, I'm going to end up in this quarter or something like that. You can, you can like, bait them out if you want to. But we usually just communicate that, and it doesn't seem to be the problem. The problem is when that, that people disagree. And if you, if you do it during movement phase, you say, right, I'm going to try and move into this quarter. And you say, am I there? And the person measures. They go, no, you're not. Move, move another inch. Okay, done. We're away we go. I, I, I think that's um, living in a world in which uh, you, you've got uh, people who communicate really well during games. And, yes, and, we do. <laughs> yeah, but uh, maybe maybe sometimes that isn't always the case. Uh, I, I can't, I'm trying to think of an example, but uh, sometimes, uh, for example, at Articon, um, when you, you know you've got people who are maybe don't have uh, have as good English that you're speaking to and trying to communicate these things, or people who play in different um, ways, 
you know, from different uh, communities that, that perhaps don't talk uh, as, or explain as like you're doing. Uh, it sounds like the way you play it is great, but I can just see there being issues. I, may, you're, I, I love that you're optimistic about it. I'm, I'm perhaps being a bit cynical about the idea that, that you know, I, I'm seeing the worst in, worst in gamers perhaps more than I should, but I can, I can definitely see there being issues with this. I really don't want there to be, and I know there won't be issues when I'm playing it because I'm, I'm quite chill about these sorts of things, but I can just imagine there being people going, eh, well, actually, you know, you, we said, and then there's someone saying, well, hold on, you said that I was in it, and then they say, well, yeah, I said you were in it, but I didn't actually get the measuring tape out, so, so you know, <laughs> actually, you're not in it, and all this sort of stuff, so uh, just just because they want to play a game it a bit, I, I, I don't know, I, I, maybe I'm just being cynical and, and, and negative, but I can see there being issues as much as I like the idea of the scenario. They can also try the classic at the end of the game, like just accidentally bump the table and then shake everything, and then then everything was intentionally to be yeah, in certain places. Yeah, all these and, <laughs> and those sorts of things they do happen, especially in uh, some of the um, more cramped venues I've been in. Where, you know, all it takes is someone to walk past the board, nudge it, and then suddenly this whole scenario is is crumbles because you're going, oh well, that was there, but was it? Was it? Oh, I don't think it was in there. It was it was uh, and all this sort of stuff. So I, I I worry about it as much as I think it'll be a fun game to actually play. At Articon, uh, not Articon, um, Arda Unleashed, we we played, Matt and I in a doubles played uh, some New Zealanders with some Candice Chariots, and uh, oh, cool. basically we got blue tack and stuck it on the back, so I don't know if you have that, that's like, like a... Um, yeah, yeah, blue tack, yeah. Yeah, blue tack, perfect. So we just stuck it on pretty much every model, because it was on those Games Workshop hills, where if you if you breathe, oh, everything slides to the middle, and we all had like heavy models, and that was that was perfect. So maybe this one you have to enforce the blue tack. The blue tack rule. I think that would be a, a great decision, because uh, we the, the the tournaments are held at Warhammer World are all obviously on the Games Workshop hills, and God, it's so annoying those hills. You just, <laughs> your your company designed these hills, and you're designing metal models slide everywhere on them so uh yeah there's a frustration and i can imagine exactly that if you've got a plastic hill uh in the middle of the battlefield uh so uh, then i can just see it going oh this is going to be so annoying but anyway uh, the, the the scenario is cool i do like the scenario once again these are total knee-jerk reaction statements so they we might come back in six months time and then just like edit this out sneakily and say that no we, we've always hated it but uh, look, yeah. I'm, I'm keen to try it i like the idea of movement maelstrom yeah, look, it, it makes an interesting game for sure. Um, and I, mm-hmm. I feel like there's enough scenarios now that people start phasing them out if they don't like them. Retrieval. Yeah, that's true. And I, I think, uh, sorry, I'll just, just finish it. The, the, yep. the Maelstrom is a good choice to have this this one because it, it means that you're going to be deployed all over in different quarters at the start and you're going to have to actually fight for it. So it's good. I like it. It's actually one of the few Maelstroms that you might choose to split up your force. Oftentimes you don't. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah. that's interesting. It, choices are good. Choices are, choices are good. Exactly. As long as they're not like too too labor intensive. The next one um, is retrieval. And lots of people talking about the deployment zone because it's on a diagonal, which honestly I don't think is a big deal. You're still setting up far away. I know that some people are going to have trouble measuring it and most people aren't, but I know that, yeah, some, some people end up putting like dice down or blue tack down or whatever. So you might have to fudge a little bit. But this one's interesting in that, that you've got Almost a modified storm the camp. You have to run a chorus and grab a relic and then uh, basically look after it, bring it back. But the other player can grab it back off you and put it back to its place. So you've got some, what we talked about before, you've got some reasons to go forward. You've got some, you've got a big front you have to look after because of that. And you deploy close. So I feel like this might be the replacement for storm the camp. Yeah, I think it's basically Storm the Camp with, with a lot of the um, the, the problems sort of removed. And, and it, it was basically capture the capture the flag, isn't it? I mean, you, yeah. you're taking a relic, moving it back to your own, you're protecting your own, you're trying to b- b- think. So I, I like that. And I've, I've thought for a long time, I've, I, 
I th- I've kept thinking, oh, I'd love to play a capture of the flag style game, and I couldn't quite work out how to make it um, in Lord of the Rings. And this seems to do what I would like uh, it to be. So yeah, it's pretty cool. I- I- I'm looking forward to playing this one a lot. Yeah, we we had a. I think I can't remember who. Someone put a capture flag scenario in one years and years ago for us, and it was always fun to to go and tag it. I don't think we did the carry back one. We just had to go and like to grab it. But um, mm. yeah, that's that. I, I like this one, and I think a lot of people aren't going to mind it because they can they can like premeditate a plan. They know where they're going to be set up, and if they want to set up back and defend, or they want to set up right forward and push forward. Yeah, they've got some choices there, and I, I like that. And I like the little um, no man's land in the middle. I like that little three inch corridor of uncertainty where you can make it so that things don't charge. You don't have to start like right in base contact. I, I like that. Yeah, that's cool. I like it. Yep. Uh, next one is breakthrough. So this one we've got once again lots of uh, lots of objectives. There, there's only four of them this time instead of the, the five normal ones. You can set up right close to each other, but you've got to go and grab objectives, and you get more points for the ones that are further into the enemy territory. Yeah, I, I, this this seems quite cool actually because it, it's rewarding. Again, it's as you say, it's rewarding um, movement and and actually breaking through the line more than it is um, just grabbing a couple of objectives uh, that are on the baseline. So it's quite cool because yeah, you, you, it forces you to try and negotiate way around the opponent and and or break through their line and things like that. So yeah, this could be quite good. I, I think the only one thing is I, I I'm still kind of confused as to which what like I think it's going to take a bit of time at the end of the game to work out how many points you've actually got because it's you know one objective here that's worth one and then two if for this reason and then four for this reason for if you get this object. So I can imagine it being there being a bit of time doing the maths and um, certainly for the first few times you're playing it um, but afterwards you'll be you know, I'm sure it'll be fine I think it's one that once you play it two or three times you're going to know exactly what the formula is it's like I need to get that back objective and then get a break and then I'll win it that sort of thing like I haven't done the maths yeah. on it yet but I think you'll work that out pretty much I do like yeah the thing- I think uh, yeah it'll be hard tough for beginners but then it always is isn't it yeah, I do like that the the broken is quite low victory points it's enough to, to break up a draw but only one victory point and both sides can get it. I do. I like that because sometimes it's really heavily weighted and sometimes it's not. But it's good to have those little almost tiebreakers, but not worth a whole lot. Go getting the objectives is worth way more. Yeah, no, it, it, yeah, this one is definitely an objectives uh, scenario, which is always nice to see that you can. That you, you might be able to get, I think it's what, three maximum VPs if you kill the enemy leader and, and break them. So like you say, it's enough to push it over if, you, if, it, if it's a close game on the objectives. But really, yeah, if you, if you don't go for the objectives, you, you're screwed. Yeah. The next one is just brings back so many memories. Um, destroy the supplies. Uh, this one is almost identical to one that we played at Masters years ago. And I'm not saying I, I think it's a copy. I think it's coincidence more than anything. And, and I'm sure they've, they've got them off similar circumstances. The only difference was the objectives in our one had um, like a, a defense value and you had to go and punch them or, or shoot them or whatever. Like you, you had to go and actually kill them. But this one looks fun. Yeah, this is great. So we've got six objectives. Uh, you've got to destroy the uh, enemy supply markers. So there's three of each um, in your own deployment in a, a straight line. And two victory points for each enemy supply marker that's been destroyed. So, yeah, and I think, yeah, like you say, uh, just basically being in base contact with it is fine. That's 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 fine. I, I think that's okay. It, it, it makes it easier to destroy the supply markers, which I suppose is uh, on the one hand a good thing. So that's good. But... Yeah, it just feels a little bit different. Who knows? Maybe, maybe uh, Mr. Clare has been uh, trawling through the um, the masters in Australia to uh, over the last ten years to to find scenarios to put in the book. Who knows? Who knows? 
Well, in, in fairness, I would actually hope that he trawls through everyone's scenarios to get ideas. Because if he can get some ideas, if someone's doing something really interesting, we want it in the game. So he's probably not. But if he is, that's that's. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think we we do that. Everyone else shares ideas and looks at it and say, "You're doing something really good. Let's use it." And this is like, who cares who comes up with the ideas? The I, if if it's a good scenario and it gets in the book, that's fantastic. Yeah, I, yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think, um, the, the you know, you mentioned about um, seize the prize, and we we both had a problems with that 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 lots of people are doing different things to mitigate that in in tournaments anyway so maybe it's not important that in the book it's it's uh it's still the same so because people people add any certainly anyone who's playing at a competitive level knows oh yeah there's some problems with this scenario so maybe we can change that yeah, no, I, I think tournament organizers, once they've run a few, usually get pretty confident which ones they want to change because they get feedback from their players. And as long as exactly. the local tournament organizers are doing things, then who cares? That, that, that's all good. No, I like the idea of the destroy the suppliers one. I think it's going to be fun to play. I like the, the simplicity in destroying the markers just because of the speed of the game. I think for these points match, uh, you want them to play reasonably fast. And I think this one does. Poor hero armies, you know, the the, the gambling and, and four super friends are going to have a hard time attacking and defending these ones. So that's an interesting yeah. choice as well. Yeah, that's what I, I sort of touched on earlier. But and that's one of the things I, I, I issues I have with the, the whole pool of scenarios now. It's sort of skewing towards um, big armies and away from big hero armies, which I, I always loved all hero armies. But yeah, I, I don't have a problem. The, the, like you say, you, you really need to have um, a way of making this a quick game because... It, relying on an army to break through the line, the main line or get get around the edges and then um, spend a couple of turns of combat actually hitting a, uh, a box of I don't know a box of toys or whatever they, they, these supplies are and it, it adds it will just drag the game out and I can see it being actually coming down to the banner and the the broken in the end anyway so so I'm glad that it's just a base contact thing that's fine. The other thing I like about this one is it it gives you another excuse to have themed objective markers. Like I know some people just use a little paper token, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I like the idea of having something to model as well. And these ones, it doesn't really matter what size they're on. I know they they recommend 25 mil bases, but as long as it's the same on both sides, who cares? It's it's going to be the same distance to get across. So you can do some fun things with little objectives. And um, I know that we've had some tournaments that have said, go for 60 mil objectives and, and model them. And we'll give you a prize for the best objective marker. And mm. others that have said, make them as small as possible and unassuming. So having your own personal ones that you need to protect, I think is nice from a story point of view. Yeah, I, I do, and it, it gives me a, a, a use for the the little objectives that I've come up with. I've got, a, in particular, for my minister of army, I've got a few objectives that, that I'm I'm really happy with. They look really cool. You know, there's a there's a little box with some arrows sticking out, uh, a bears, and, and it's fun to be able to use those in a way that actually you can use for your little beer barrel <laughs> that, that, that you've made. And it's good fun. And I think I would definitely encourage people to do that because it just adds an, an, that little extra um, fun to a game. Yeah, okay. So we're moving through these at a, a normal Green Dragon speed, so moderate speed. We've got Divide and Conquer as our next one. This one, we've got some uh, an interesting split-up deployment. So you basically set up in opposite corners. So uh, you've got half of your army or whatever, some portion of your army in one part and the other portion in another part and it's a, a run to the middle so it's it almost like it's that maelstrom deployment but very very um set and no surprises type maelstrom deployment which is fun and it's it's a modified run to the center because there's three centers in this one as well so i kind of like this and i, I think it's probably a, a a replacement for the um oh, what is it hold ground is it the one that you run to the middle off the maelstrom deployment yeah i feel like it's doing a very similar thing to it but probably a bit more reliably 
It's similar to an, a, a, a scenario we play in doubles in U, the UK, which involves what your uh, your ally um, and you being on the opposite side of the board and trying to fight towards the middle. So I really like that uh, that it's being put into a way, but it it just encourages you to build your army um, for singles in a in a good way where you you're not got an uneven split with Aragorn, King Elisar, and eighteen guys in in one half of your army as your main killing force and then a captain and six bows just to fill out the points in the other half because that would be massively uh, hard to win with this one if your army split in that way so yeah i really like the scenario it just encourages you to build a different army in a different style and and, and a way which is always good fun yeah definitely definitely yeah it's it's one that i feel like you want either one warband or a lot of warbands just to, to be able to have some choice about how it's split up so yeah interesting choices in that one i like the sound of it the you, you make a good point, although you, you sort of probably accidentally. Uh, the, 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 if you have a one warband army, which I don't know, like the um, the Dolgul, the Ring Raids, or something, is or the Fellowship of the Ring. I don't know how you would go about playing this scenario. How, do you just deploy in one quarter? Is that it? I don't know. Maybe, but um, there are, it poses some questions. Do you have to divide your one warband up into two so that you have one in each corner? I don't know. Um, no, I think so, I so think you question. just have one. Corner, so the fellowship comes on in one corner, and that's that could be a disadvantage because the enemy can just block you off from getting to the objectives, and you have to fight your way through. Or it could be an advantage in that you've got your whole force, so you can take on one part of the enemy. So I think it's I think it works fine because you just alternate until you run out of run out of warbands, essentially. Yeah, I, I think um, this is an, another uh, another thing. I that is a downside for all hero armies that, that it means that it's going to be if you have. You know uh, the the Council of of the East, which I, I, is a name that I came up with my for my um, Amder and uh, a king uh, on a chariot and um, uh, Kamal all all coming and doing all hero stuff, which is all good fun. Um, but yeah, it's, it certainly dilutes that uh, in this in this one because you you really want if you've got a four model army, you really want them all in the same same corner. But uh, that's not going to work here. Hmm. Or even a, an army like an Angmar, one where you've got you're relying on your shade. It's it's going to be it's going to be pretty tough to to make that work in this one. But hey, like you say, it's it's swings and roundabouts for these things. Yeah, you can make it work. The other person has to split up as well. It's not just you. So make it work. Make it happen. And you're all going to the okay. middle anyway. I'll uh, stop. I'll stop moaning. <laughs> no, 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 no. Moaning is absolutely allowed. That's fine. <laughs> uh, assassination, the last one. So this one, once again, you can set up as far back or as close as you want, which. I like the choice of that. I like it as an evil player to be able to sit right on the deployment middle line, but I also like as a good player to be pulled right back. So you've got some choice there. So um, at worst, you're going to be 24 inches away from the enemy. At best, you're going to be right in their face from the start. That's a good choice. Break tests, it's one of those random end ones, which is uh, keeps the pressure on quite a bit. And this one, you're choosing a target to assassinate, but you've got to choose a hero to assassinate them with, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, so you're choosing a, a, an assassin, so you secretly note down one of your hero models, this is assassin, and it may not be your leader unless you have only one hero, and then you also note down a target, uh, which you, is one of your opponent's hero, which can't be the leader unless they only have one hero. So it's very similar to um, Fog of War, but it's just a bit more focused on um, killing the uh, killing the hero. It's the, essentially the third of the Fog of War, which is always good fun, um, but as one army, um, as, as one main objective. I, I, I think this is going to be great. I love, I love the idea of this. Um, I love Fog of War. It's basically Fog of War. So, yeah, I'm all happy about this. This is going to be great fun. Yeah, there's... 
any opportunity to bluff is good. It feels like a slightly simplified fog of war, but the the conditions mm-hmm. are a bit harder to meet as well. So you've got to go assassinate with your hero. Maybe, maybe we'll get a heroic challenge here and there. Probably not, but you can only hope. But yeah, it could be it could be interesting for a, for a bluff game. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. It might, it might encourage uh, heroic challenges when you when you've got your target against the assassin. You you want to or the vice versa. Sorry, uh, you, you, it's it will encourage you to do that because you don't want them to go because you want your assassin to actually be able to kill the target. So yeah, I, I yeah I didn't think of that. That's good good shout. It, it might encourage uh, for once someone to actually use the heroic challenge. <laughs> maybe maybe probably not, but who knows? It might be. We've got doubles, so doubles. We'll go through a little bit quicker because I feel like. The doubles tournaments, once people, people run them, they tend to put their own spin on them anyway. So oftentimes mm-hmm. you don't get them by the book, but it gives you a by the book uh, recommendation for doubles and some scenarios there, which actually look a lot of fun. There's talks about small armies, which is good. We talk about how what to do with legendary legions and breaking in the leader and all that sort of stuff, which is, all sounds good. Uh, later on, it, it caused a bit of problems. With, you have to be allies, essentially. But um, mm. the first uh, first scenario... I like these double games that that split up the the teams a little bit because it forces you to to try and fight to the center or to help each other out or to totally abandon your friend and it gets it often splits into two little fights and you're trying to influence the others and no escape definitely seems like that from straight away you get this really broken up deployment with some gaps between people and then you have to go and kill leaders and break forces and keep the banner so it's very much a modified um what is it to the death and then yeah. with, with crazy deployment yeah it's basically modified to the death and and actually this doesn't feel crazy to me because this is one of the staples of doubles tournaments here and there's one up in um in manchester where Ardicon is that they play um a doubles tournament every year i've been to a few times and this is straight out of that i mean i don't know whether that i don't know whether it's uh, it's something that had had been around for a long time that that jay had had already used or has been using other systems or something but either way this is uh, this is very familiar to me but yeah it's good because you've got this middle line of uh, your um, uh, opponents fighting each other um, and then behind you you've got the pressure of the other half of the opponent's army potentially clamping you in this hammer and anvil thing but then the same is also true on the other side so you've got this idea that is there, is there time for for me to help um, my friend before he gets smashed? It's it's good. It's good. I love this. It's it's good fun. It's always a good good start. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I can imagine ones that'd be a bit frustrating if you're the um, the secondary deployment person and you'd never get into a fight because the other person just pushes through. But other than that, I think it's it's definitely got some interesting choices in it. And whether you go forward or whether you go backwards or whether you you try and go out to the side and try and meet up or whatever, it, it looks looks like fun. Yeah, and it really encourages um, talking to your teammate a lot more because you need to under- you need to go right. This is what we should do. Yeah, okay, we agree that we. I'm going to back away a bit uh, or try and move around to the right. Or- so it encourages um, what exactly what doubles is for is to you know work out an, a, a, a strategy between you two. Yeah, and then the next one is my kind of scenario. It's just it's layer and layer of scenario on top of each other. So you've got. A start in the middle, sort of akin to Contest of Champions, where the forces are really close together on an objective. You've got a domination-type setup where there's other objectives hanging around. And then you've got, of course, the craziness of Maelstrom of Battle, where other forces are jumping on on the sides. And um, it's basically a, a domination, but you've got the, the two forces fighting out right in the center from, from the start. Yeah, this is really cool. And I think, actually, this would be quite a good one to just... Um 
to do as a singles game as well because you know deploy half your army in the middle fight the other the other opponent's army and then the rest of your army has to tag objectives or help out so it's yeah it, it provides lots of decisions that you've got to make and and do you go for the objectives do you try and get the one in the middle and all this sort of stuff yeah i, I love i love these kind of things it, it just and it, and it feels like you're almost two two people are playing two different games so you got uh, you know, I might be playing a, a, a like you say a contest of champions in the center, fighting against someone else. But my teammates basically going right. Okay, I want to get all the objectives around the outside. So yeah, it's it's really cool. So I, just to clarify, it's got five objectives: one in the dead center uh, where you're fighting, and then four in a, in a sort of square around it. So so yeah, there's lots of fun there. Yeah, no, look, I, that's the one I want to play, and I do want to play it as a single player, which you can easily do. You just split your force into half and basically exactly. play play a doubles game on your own. I think that's that's. Actually, that's my kind of maelstrom deployment where you've got some reliability. You know that some of your army is going to be in a certain spot and the rest of it, you don't know where it's coming from. I like I like that type of modified setup for it. Uh, next one is Taken Hold, which I've heard the, the name before. You've got a single objective in the middle. You've got the deployments on the side. Not a maelstrom deployment, just the corner deployments. The opposite corners like the the other one. And it, it's a, a run in the middle, but there's a um, some special rules, isn't there? So side of power... That means that that models within six inches of the objective marker get resistant to magic and reroll fate rolls. So it encourages your, your heroes and things to go jump on the objective, which is always a good thing. But other than that, it looks pretty straightforward. Run to the middle and do the other stuff. Break the opponent if you can. Do some wounds to the leader. Yeah, I feel like taking hold was an old scenario, and you used to have some benefit for being in the middle, wasn't it? An old objective in the singles pack i can't remember but um i feel like it's certainly similar maybe it was in some other system that I've, uh, warhammer system i played but it does feel like very similar to something that rewarded being in the middle and i can't remember what it was but either way it's cool. there was one in the middle you remember the one where you were on a hill and um basically like there was a chance that, that the archers didn't work i think it was or something happened on the hill there was there's a few there was one pack there was like four out of the six of them were all run to the middles yeah, I think it, that's what I'm probably thinking of, that you gain some bonus being on the hill if you've got an archers or something like that. But yeah, I, li- I like the idea that, you know, you want to be in the middle um, and let's reward you if you're in the middle. And, um, you know, it rewards people who get to the middle first and, and fight over the middle. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. I like it. The Clash of Champions. This sounds like Contest of Champions. I didn't really like Contest of Champions, but this one I'm going to reserve judgment because I actually like the one special rule they've got, the Friendly Rivalry, where you basically get a bonus for... Um, you've got the two two leaders killing, so you're probably not going to get instant kill for both of them. But they they're trying to outdo each other, sort of like Legolas and Gimli are doing, and you get some bonuses to wound if you're the least kill, so you can try to come back a bit more, and then you lose the bonus if you draw it. So you might try to def- like maybe shield occasionally just to try and get the bonus, or or mm. for these ones, often choosing the order is really important. So when you have priority, you can choose oh. I'm behind. I'll go first. Oh, now I'm ahead. You're behind. You go and wound, and and that sort of dynamic as well, which is always a bit of fun. Yeah, exactly, and and it's it's good fun because um it it just encourages you to kind of have a have a nice debate with your with your uh, teammate about oh yeah, but I want I want to have the bonus to wound, but yeah, but I I think I might win this combat and be able to heroic combat into you and all this sort of stuff. So yeah, it it, it encourages a little bit of. Uh, friendly friction literally friendly rivalry in the in the rule with your teammate about who's going to go who's going to choose to go first and and what happens with the leaders yeah I, I, this this could be good fun as well i i don't know wh- whether it'll work to, completely like you say but it, it, yeah I, I like a good contest of champions so two contests of champions is good for me i like it you know i think it works or i think it will work i don't know if it does work i think it will work because you've got that bragging factor as well so even if your your opponent's champion goes down, you can have a bit of a laugh at them and, and outdo them. 
So I feel yeah. that there's there's still some bonuses to keep going, and I think that's that's the important part. I think the other one I didn't like that if your hero went down, it's game over. This one, if your friend's hero goes down, well, there there it's bragging time. You've got to come back and win it all yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and anything that creates um, uh, funny moments and and a bit of a, a narrative that you. Can- about with your teammate and the opponent team that that that's always good fun so uh yeah this is that well that's what the game's all about isn't it ultimately so yeah i, I love this idea yeah and then we have a, a interesting sort of surrounded type deployment for cornered and it looks like it's just a, a straight kill and and do the banner so once again it's a like um oh i can't remember to the death type modification but you've got a team in the middle you've got a team surrounding them and then a the the team that's in the middle has is surrounding them and, and hoping to to reach in and and attack. So this one could be uh, very unfortunate for the team in the middle, or it could end up being okay depending on what happens. Yeah, it, it looks almost like an archery target, doesn't it? It's got like a, a circle in the middle, six inch bubble of team A's main thing, and then there's a ring around it of, uh, of no man's land, and then another ring around that that's that's team B, and then there's the edges are uh, team A's secondary bit. So I, I like this because. It, it it could be really fun that you sort of, um, you know, you're you're being pinned in the middle, but then you've got the relief force. It's very Lord of the Rings, you know. There's lots of times when in the Lord of the Rings, you're you're uh, the main characters are sort of surrounded and and you know struggling for for things, and then someone comes and rescues them. You know, it, so that that's always great. You know, whether it's the the uh, bows out of bond sort of thing or the um the the Lord of the Ring, uh, the sorry the um Helm's Deep stuff. So there's lots of people being trapped and rescued by stuff, which which just feels very thematic, so I like that. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with that. I think it's uh, if you're going to play that, that, that looks like fun. I actually wouldn't mind playing this one as singles as well. Like Maybe maybe not fully competitively, but I think it's... it's a, I, I like the interesting setups, and I like that it changes it up, and I feel like they've taken a bit more risks with the doubles than they did with the singles, so I quite like that. Yeah, I, I, that's a good point. I think maybe it's just because it, I think doubles are by their nature that they're always a little bit more more fun and less ultra competitive so you can afford to have some slightly less balanced scenarios potentially because because it creates more fun and um, but yeah I, I'd, I'd happily most of these um, double scenarios would completely work just as a singles game and and could could potentially all six of them could be a, a quite a fun tournament um, of a singles tournament but with six uh, six doubles games uh, and splitting your army up so it could be quite fun yeah, the next one is the only one you'd have to modify, I believe, for the for the singles because this one you're keeping a secret from even your friend, which I think you've got to definitely go into good spirit of the game because this one would be pretty easy for someone to to cheat ahead of time or pre-plan and all that sort of stuff. But basically, you secretly write down a hero to be the target, and your opponent, your you know your opponent, your partner secretly writes down as well, and it might end up being the same hero. So you get some some interesting stuff there. You've got an interesting deployment where you're all split up again, which you say is pretty standard for doubles, which is fine. Uh, you've got a 12 inch no man land no man's land in the middle, which is also interesting, and then uh, uh, the standard points for you've got to kill the heroes if you that that you're supposed to choose. This one you've got two victory points as well. It targets it in six inch of the center of the board at the end of the game, so that's that's a adds a bit of a, a twist to it as well, but. It's once again the, the the points are usually pretty standard and straightforward in these ones, but the it's all about the deployment, the setup, and this one the targets. I like the idea of uh, uh, secretly writing down enemy heroes. I mean, like you say, it can so easily be manipulated stuff. But I I, I don't. Well, I mean, you would maybe if you were really trying to be ultra competitive and win a doubles tournament, which I don't know whether is ever really the case. Most people are quite happy to just have fun at doubles tournaments, but um, or in doubles matches anyway. That 
you could easily game it, but what? Why would you bother? That just takes complete, completely takes the fun out of this. So I don't think you'd bother with it, would you? I think if you like, we've played a competitive doubles tournaments, and if you do have a competitive ones, I as the organizer, I would just say that um, it gets randomly allocated to each person. So what I would do as an organizer is maybe have a little card or something like that that you give the players or something to 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 sort that out just to. Mm. To make sure that it's it's a little bit of a secret, but other than that, no, you're right. Like, why would you if you're going into the event to play it out? You want the story for it. But I have exactly. been since, and I, I do like the competitive doubles. I think it's good fun. But um, it is, yeah. This one, this one. Yeah, look, if you're really competitive, you either modify it or you just take it out because it's. I think I think most people just have fun with it. Exactly. Exactly. Good. We're almost done. Um, the last thing in this, which I'll go over very quickly, I'm not going to read it all out because we've almost gone through the whole book, is the campaign <laughs> events. Um, these are my favorite type of, of ca- um, not campaigns, but the favorite type of events where you basically go in and there's this theme about boards and things like that. And um, we have uh, Silmarilli in uh, Melbourne, which is pretty similar to this this setup, which I I quite like. So it's good that it's got a print in to get people thinking about it. Um, honestly, mm. the people who are running it should probably come up with their own and, and take and, and choose and, and move it around. But it gives a nice template to start with and it lets people think about it. And it sort of legitimizes these sort of fun um, event-type tournaments as well. So I, I really like that, that they're, they're giving some, some lip service to that kind of game. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, your your some really event, every time I heard you talking about it on the uh, cast i've always thought oh yeah i wish there was something like that here and like you say uh, this putting it in the book just makes people go oh yeah we should uh, we should do that. That, that that sounds like good fun so yeah absolutely well up for this um, and yeah. and it just it just encourages different ways of playing the game which is always great and there are some more things about and um, tiebreakers and all secret objectives and all that sort of stuff for tournaments as well at the back of the book but they're kind of speak for themselves but they are good the the secret objectives one is is interesting mm. at the very least I think it's just more more ways to play and more suggestions for the organizer that they can change it up. And I, I do like that. I like the more stuff on it, as long as it doesn't add too much to the time. I really like. I was talking to Lachlan from Zorpazorp about this, and he hates that stuff. He just wants like straight win loss binary. Nothing else matters. And and his his argument was that you don't want to encourage people to really wipe someone out, but. I feel like people do that anyway. So I kind of like this other stuff. I like the major minor victory stuff. I like additional missions that you can use sometimes or you get allocated sometimes or uh, you have a limited amount. You have to try and score them throughout. All this sort of stuff I think adds interest and, and I do enjoy that stuff. Some people don't, but your organizer can choose if you like it or not. Exactly. And I think the the, the, the tiebreaker and the sort of um, secret objective, um, these things are, are really useful, as, in particular when the when tournaments get to a stage where they're they're you know unwieldy in terms of their size. You know, I'm thinking the the Articon in particular, where you know there's there's 200 people playing, and you need to have something to, to divide uh, divide the field up. Otherwise, you're just going to have everyone with six you know uh, six wins, and that's it. It's like how, how do you divide everything up? It, it, there's a stage where you just have to add extra things, and and the fact that that Jay's thinking about this and going, actually, we need to balance those secret objectives so that they're they're more um, more fair, I guess, because sometimes you can go to these secret objectives things and look at them and go, oh, for God's sake, this is this is this is impossible for people to do. I mean, I, I there was one at Ardacon last year when you had to have. I think you had to have <clears throat> three uh, or four pieces of terrain. Uh, or so was it three pieces of terrain and you had to have three models in each of them or something like that as a secret objective, which, you know, I was, I was looking at thinking, oh, there's no way I'm going to do this with one of my armies. I, I can't remember whether, whether it was Ardicon or somewhere else. It may have not been. But either way, I, was, I had a really small army. I was, and I was thinking, I can't, I can't 
possibly do that with the ring wraiths and it just meant, means you, you think oh gosh I, I really wish I didn't bring my nice thematic fellowship of the ring to this tournament because now I've got no way of winning the objectives which always annoys me so but anyway yeah the, having something balanced out works for these sorts of things once again, this is this is not the you must play this way, and I like that that doc- document gives you some options and moves it around because it could have mm. very easily been this is how you must play, this is the official way, and we we recommend this, but it, it gives you enough options and enough points to choose, and I think that's that's a very good thing in the book overall. So this book initially, when I heard that there was twelve unmodified scenarios which I wanted modified, I thought, oh, this, this here we go, it's going to be not worth the purchase, but I think I've been turned around on it. I'm actually looking forward to it, and I'm not someone who usually looks forward to the points match games as my primary mode of play, so that's a good thing. It's getting me excited about it. Yeah, I I mean, I I think I pretty much only play points match games just because of uh, the the way I play games is mostly going to tournaments because my local area didn't have as many players for a long time, so so anything that makes those tournaments more balanced and more uh, have more going on in them is always great because I think um, certainly over the last couple of years there's been a lot more tournaments that I've been going to and those 12 scenarios start getting stale after a while and I think and I, there was a period of time where I played sort of quite a lot of tournaments that were 700 points with the tournament the 12 um, scenarios and I was thinking oh yeah this is good fun um, and I'm enjoying it because I'm taking different armies but I did think a, a period of time I'd like something to add a bit of spice to some of these and and I think this this guide is going to encourage people to add some different bits and bobs which at the very least it's got six new scenarios which which means that you're going to get less stale, which is good. Yes, variety is very good. I agree with you on that. Definitely think that's the case. So, yeah, it keeps you going because some of us, like myself, have been playing almost 20 years now. So so changing up and giving us more ways to explore Middle Earth and, and try different things at events is always a good thing. Exactly. Okay, well, let's take a very quick break there, Harry, and we'll move on to the FAQ. Now we have a February 2020 FAQ, which has has created a lot of a uh, lot of chat in the community. We'll say so much here. Now I'm going to preface this. I know that that people are expecting me to have some strong opinions, which I I won't disappoint in that. I will definitely have some strong opinions, but I'm not going <laughs> to attack anyone for them. I if I disagree with what's said, it doesn't mean that I don't like what's being done in the game or anything like that. So I want to make that very clear. It's not an attack on any person. I can dislike rules, but not like dislike designers or anything like that then they're not necessarily related so we're going to start with the battle companies because this one is for me personally it's the the least interesting and that's because battle companies (laughs) is is my least uh my least uh uh, desirable type of game to play and i know that some people love it and that's fine 
variety is very good. So we've got some changes. Rohan, they've just gone to consistency. So the battle company don't count towards uh, bow limit. The riders of Rohan, good, no problem. And magic powers mm. have ranges. So that's the that's the errata. Any comments on that, Harry? Yeah, uh, absolutely none. But it does make sense to make everything all unified. So good that riders are right there. But I, I I agree. I don't play battle companies very much. I played a one tournament of battle companies, and I think actually they work better as a day event rather than over a long period of time. Because in my experience, battle companies tends to you start and then it it's it sort of it's all very good and fun at the, in the early stages, and then eventually people lose interest or the battle companies get too big and and it just becomes rubbish. So um, yeah. Yeah, Kylie's running an event where she's going to start, she's called it um like anything but the boring bit or something like that, where basically they all start with experience. You get a pool of experience to add to heroes as you wish at the start of the game, and then you go play whatever it is, five games, and, and keep keep upping them. But she really likes battle companies when she gets an experience company where everyone's got might and rules and all this sort of stuff. So she's allowed you to just um, create that early on, which which is going to be interesting. Uh, I'll let you know that, that I enjoy that more than the other one. Yeah, that does sound like fun, actually. And I, I played a... a- for part of the podcast um which was it started with a company and then you join it into uh, an army for for the second day which was great fun i really enjoyed that um because it meant that you can what you lack in in the first day you can just make up for in actual points which which made made for a great way of playing it and it added value to the the heroes that you'd sort of gained experience for on the first day which is quite fun yeah absolutely so I'll go through these quickly um if you want to pipe in, please do. But magic powers don't add any points to the the hero's point value, so that's um, that's mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. At least it's clear. Bows by carried by Haradrim and Haradrim Raiders have poison arrows, uh, which is fine. Uh, do the wags get broken in the scenario where you get heaps of wags there? They cannot be broken, which I think is more fun. You got to actually go kill them. Yeah, you've got. A um, daring rescue is rolled when neither battle company has a hero lost in battle. Just re-roll. Okay, cool. It's a daring rescue again. If you have multiple heroes, you choose one hero first, and then you can choose another hero, basically divide it up. And then uh, can you target them with, with shooting attacks, the prisoner and the daring rescue? No, you have to go and hold them down, which is fine. And then there's a, a couple more. Baggage train scenario. Where did the pony start? And uh, On the southern board edge. And then... Last one, in a map-based campaign, some special territories give bonuses to certain roles, blah, blah, blah. Are these bows optional? Yes. They're, yeah. So they're all, they're all fine. And uh, like you say, I just have no interest in, 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 in these, these erratas and updates. But hey, uh, it may, maybe hopefully they're, they're useful to some people. And obviously people have been asking the question. So it's good that they're actually supporting this system, which I know is, is a popular one. So. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. It's good to be supporting and it's good to answer questions. So happy that they're being answered. They're just not relating to me. I have no problem with having rulings. I have no opinion on either rulings. I don't know if it's a good idea yeah. or not. They all sound just like the clarifying stuff that's omitted, essentially. Exactly, yeah. So we move on to the Lord of the Rings Armies book. So there's a few changes here, but not a huge amount. So we've got um, a few that are a common theme, but the first one, first one had a little bit of controversy. It's Aragorn cannot be included the same force as Boromir, Captain of the White Tower, uh, Boromir of Gondor, or Denethor, Steward of Gondor. So I don't know how many people are doing this. I know that there's at least a couple that have been a little bit disappointed by this, uh, but basically it's possibly a thematic restriction. The criticism I've heard of it is that there's no other, well, there is some other, but not many other thematic restrictions about there's timelines. This one's a bit more specific than others. So I have a feeling it's probably because Boromir and Aragorn are quite powerful. So I'm sure someone's come up with an idea of keeping them together. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I don't have a problem with this. I, I have ne- I've never seen a, a Boromir. Well, maybe I have. I'm trying to think. It's certainly not something you see an awful lot, but it makes sense. It's the same as having your the the thematic restrictions for you know uh, Elendil and uh, and Isildur and and all this sort of. Stuff. I'm sure I can't remember what the exact restriction is of the Gilgalads and all this sort of stuff of the world. So you know, it, it's fine. It, it doesn't make any difference to. It, I think the the main thing to to look at with this um, general FAQ drop is that that it's all incredibly focused on in policing theme which obviously there are some omissions and we'll get to those later but the 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 general consensus is this is all trying to make the game more like the books and more Mm -hmm. like the films and Mm -hmm. i think we'll yes we'll get there (laughs) we'll get there we'll get there but i think and and most of the time it does it well there are definitely sometimes it doesn't do it well but this time, uh, it, it, it makes sense. Aragorn was not around with Den- uh, King of uh, King Elisar was not around with Denethor or Boromir um, in in Minas Tirith. So why would you let them happen? Uh, my, I'm gonna I'm gonna play devil's advocate on that one just a little bit. I think a lot of the rules you get options for for for, for what if type stuff, and like people like doing their own fantasy fellowships if something happened in a certain way. Uh, so I think that. Um, I think there's a fair point that, that not all the thematic restrictions about character timelines are enforced. Why this one in particular? And I think it is because Boromir with his banner is super powerful. Aragorn with his banner effect and his extra might and all his profile is super powerful. So it's probably one that, that maybe turns up more than others. And I can understand people having a problem with it because I personally probably would have a problem with it. But I feel like it's one that... that I could see both sides of it in that way. I personally don't mind it, but I totally understand if someone does mind it with the argument that that why is my unthematic or my fantasy fellowship or whatever been restricted, whereas others haven't. I, I, yeah, and I think this is probably a, a fine example of of a few rotten eggs um, taking these uh, these these filthy combinations of uh, you know Boromir, Captain of the White Tower with Aragorn because it's because it's a powerful list, it's a powerful combination, and it ruins it for those thematic um, uh, the, the people who want to do what ifs and and in a kind of fun thematic way. And I think we talked about this last time when we had the FAQ drop. Um, I can't remember exactly what it was it was referring to, but either way, it it does feel like it's addressing issues that are very specific to uh to competitive play to make competitive play more thematic but then it it can it has the downside of ruining other parts of it which i it's it's you can't i, I don't I, I feel bad for for jay because he he's trying to do something that that is is encouraging uh, people playing in a thematic way and people complain endlessly about stuff like oh god you shouldn't have aragorn king elisar with boromir captain the white tower it's just filthy it's horrible it ruins the game Ugh. and then he fixes it and then people go oh no you've ruined it for me and i've been really good and friendly and happy and having a what if so I, he's damned if he doesn't he damned if he doesn't it's just very frustrating i think for him bless him yeah true that way i think this one's we'll probably save some of that discussion for a bit later on because i think we've both got yeah, more things to add to it but this one yep yeah, like I think it, it's it's a very specific one. It's probably been an issue in some area, but probably not in a lot of other areas. Um, look, mm. it is it is what it is. I if, if it's a problem with Aragorn, I like that it's Aragorn that's been fixed. So that that's good. I like it specific. If you're upset about it, I, my condolences. Uh, next one is <laughs> the King of Men changing his heroic tier to a hero of Valor. I have no problem with this on its own. I have I think absolutely a King of Men should be the Valor tier at the very least. He's yeah. a King of Men. They are- 
Yeah, they absolutely should. And we might as well just mention the other ones because on the same page, Dwarf sure. King, Harajan, Mahut, graded to Valor. And this is, this is a good idea. It makes no sense that kings are uh, at the same level uh, hero as captains. It just, yeah, it, it's, it would be silly because it means that you can potentially choose in an army that has a king and a captain that the captain could have been the the general which would yes. make no sense so yes yeah so yeah ha- happy with those changes yeah absolutely 100 percent happy with those changes i've got no problem with them whatsoever they probably should have been done in the first place but they were they're logical i've got no problem whatsoever with those ones and we've got one more the shades chill aura so the shade is is getting the beat down i think the shade avoided Again. the last faq no the last faq made the shade better because the last <laughs> faq was um the the red alliance and then people decided to say oh the major weakness of the shade is that it runs away if my army breaks but if i take the shade and one friend, so one orc or one wag or one spectre, I have an unbreakable shade. This is amazing. So this time the shade's been been whacked again. Poor shade. It's, it's really, really copped another one. This one's a little bit controversial. Friendly Agmore models are not affected, but everyone else, everyone else is affected by the one minus penalty, including things like trolls and wags from the Agmar list. Yeah, this, this, I didn't realize this at first. I thought uh, the shade, oh, this is great because, you know, um, it, it solves the shade issue. Um, because the, the shade, the shade, it's an annoying model, but it works in the context of an Angmar army. But, um, and it doesn't sort of, it's not overly powerful in Angmar. It's only when you start combining it with, you know, Blackguard of Baradora or whatever in, in Mordor or, or, mm. or in Hunter Orcs or, or with, um, goblins or whatever. But, I didn't realise that friendly Angmar models are not affected by the special. I didn't a I didn't realise that your your troll gets the downside until uh, someone said and and it's stupid. The cave troll doesn't have a have a it it doesn't have the Angmar keyword. So you've got a birder, the troll chieftain who is an Angmar model, and then his cave troll pals uh, aren't Angmar. So therefore, they get completely ruined by this this uh, this silly shade. It's oh god, this this one really peed me off because it means that my <laughs> nice thematic angmar army that I, i've played before i say thematic i mean it's still got a shade and stuff but i had birder three cave trolls a shade uh, a barrow white and a load of orcs not very many orcs because I, I wanted to focus on the three cave trolls and and the the trolls are crap now they're they're, they're absolutely worthless so um I'm really annoyed about this because it, it seems un- it, it would have been fine if it was just you know everyone in the Angmar army is is gets the bonus, but no one in and who's not in an Angmar army doesn't. But it just uses bloody keyword thing. So anyway, yeah, <laughs> yeah, oh, good, good, good. That's that's some passion for it. I think it's a bit too far. I, I understand that we're trying to avoid allying the shade around, which is which I have no problem there. I would have I would have done something different. I would have gone for the like reduce the range. I think six inches is pretty far, so I think that would have been mm-hmm. a, probably a nicer one. Like if you allied it, you would shrink it down. Um, if this is the answer, which uh, which look, I'm not totally against this one. I would have liked it that that cave trolls and wargs hired in the Agmar list get the Agmar keyword because it looks like they've avoided yes. it just because they repeat models like they're the same profile. If if it included that as well, in addition, I wouldn't have any issue whatsoever with this one. But I think. Yeah, it it just discourages you from taking cave trolls, which are kind of cool in an Angmar list. I like them in the Angmar list. And wags, which wags don't show up a huge amount in a lot of lists. So the Angmar having the wags around, I don't think it's a bad thing either. So, like, wag chieftain's not like he's a super powerful hero. He's a good hero, but he's not, not... People aren't taking six of him because he's amazing or anything like that. He shows up occasionally. No. Uh, yeah, and, and I, I'm, my, my suspicion is that this is a, an oversight. Um, there are plenty of other oversights in this mm, FAQ. Yes. So I, I feel like um, 
these are things that might be changed the next time around. <laughs> that that Cave Troll and the Wild Wild Chief and, and the Warg get the Angmar keyword. That will be absolutely fine. And I, you know, people are fallible. People, are, you know, he's trying to do something that's fixing an issue. And I realise that this uh, doing an FAQ isn't the primary job of a rules writer. It's more coming up with middle the match play guide or writing the the Rohan at War things, which are all really good. And the, the bit it it does feel very frustrating when you think this is punishing again it's punishing the people who use this uh, in a way that is is trying to game the system or trying to make uh, break the game in some way and then it actually ends up punishing poor old me and my birder and my troll army because birder is, gets the bonus but is he's leading by example but then the trolls he's leading don't don't uh, <laughs> uh, so anyway yeah yeah look that i I agree with you on that. What I do like about this is it's it's identifying that the shade was the model of concern and dealing with the shade. It may not be perfect, but I do I like this method much better than some of the other methods. I think it's very clear, it's very overt. It's saying shade, you're offensive, not some sort of like like the last time where it was oh red alliances, we don't like you, shade, but then it accidentally makes it makes it better. So it makes it mm-hmm. the shade like like to, part of the evil part of me when I was thinking about my rough, uh, ruffian armies before this FAQ came out, it was well, I could always just put a shade and like a, a specter in the army and I've got the points for it because I've got buckets of models and it doesn't, like who cares about the Red Alliance? It doesn't matter at all because it's it's actually going to hang around for a long time and that shouldn't be the case. It shouldn't be the rewarding me for taking two models over taking 12. Like that's that's ludicrous. Why is 12, two better than 12? Yeah, and th- th- in fact, what we, we had that discussion about uh, making lists out of underused models with the Ruffians and I did exactly what you've just suggested. I, I said I would that that's who I'd include. I'd include the shade. It'd be red alliance, but it does make a, a ruffian army vaguely vaguely playable. So um, yeah, yeah. And it's and it's 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 stopped that working now, which is good. I think, <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. I I don't have a problem with that. Um, I do I do agree with you. I think that the cave troll and the wag thing is probably an oversight. We'll find out if next time they change the cave troll and leave the wags, then maybe it's not an oversight. Maybe it's just for the trolls. But I hope the the shade doesn't get hit any more with more punishments because it's 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 now on the edge of a will it be seen again type thing. Like it was it was very popular before and overly popular, and it's still super powerful. But I. I I don't. I don't actually mind the shade. I think with its big disadvantages, it keeps things near it, and you can outmaneuver with it. And there's a lot of scenarios now that require movement, so it kind of creates a good death ball. But yeah, yeah. Look, I, I, I don't like it being allied into silliness like the yeah, as you said, the black guard. That, that's a bit nasty. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yep. So yeah, there you go. That's that's a Lord of Rings errata, wasn't now, it? Now, yeah, there's oh, the designer's it? notes, which I think is uh, a euphemism for FAQ. Um, mm. We've got the. Uh, if Denethor and a hero of legend from another army list are in the same force, does Denethor's rule of Gondor mean that he will be the leader? And it's yes, Denethor is going to be the leader pretty much no matter what. So if you include Denethor, he's the leader. Yeah, that, that's a good. It's a good question though because I, you could easily argue it either way because Denethor is say the rule of Gondor is mine. Um, but if you're in, allying him into a, a Rohan and Gondor list, then you could argue, well, Theoden's leading, so you know he's he's going to be the leader. So yeah, it it, it clarifies that. That's a good that's a good clarification. Definitely. Yep, no problem with that as well. And you, you can play Denethor if you want. You've got you've got that knowledge now, so that's all fine. Um, we've got a Floy one, which uh, uh, Floy's not my favourite guy. Uh, Fl- Floy, I think Floy comes up in every single FAQ thing, and it, it's because his rule is just annoying, isn't it? But it, it's a good rule. I love it. But yeah, there's always some problem with it, isn't there? I don't. I think he's escaped from the Lord of the Rings 
collectible card game into the, the strategy battle game for some reason. Um, <laughs> it's just, just some some of the stuff is really weird that he does. So this one, mm. this this time, this Floy one, the annual Floy question. He negates the effects of a piece of war gear. Is it only the active or passive benefits that are negated, or all benefits associated with that war gear? It's just the active or passive benefits. This will not make Andrew stop counting as a sword. For example, the other one would be Gamling's banner because that's that's a favorite target of Floy, and so it sounds mm. like it can still be a banner, but won't be the, the throw the points of might out. Yeah, that that's that, that that that's that's a subtle bit, quite a nice change actually, I think, because yeah. It, it, it Floyd against Gambling's Banner is a very powerful counter to, to a very expensive model and, and a crux of the list. So it's good, good that I think that that that, that will it won't be as powerful as it, as as it could have been. Yeah, I like that. I like that. that that's a little bit more clear. Um, the the less that Floyd does like that, probably the better in my opinion. But I'm a little bit biased there. But that's clear, and I do like that that it's not the end of the world. Like you're not stopping it being a sword, or you're not stopping it being a banner, because that's that just gets silly. Like I don't understand the logic behind that at all. Yeah, exactly. In a real world situation, banner is still just not as magical as it used to be, which is cool. Yeah. Um, I, I, the, the next one is, if Mardin is supporting an Iron Shield, does he get plus two when rolling to wound monster models? Because uh, he gets plus one already for Tyrolzul, his special spear, and plus one for the foe spear supporting an Iron Shield. And the answer is yes, which I'm glad because um, I've run Mardin before and I, I pointed this out to people and said, isn't this cool? And they're like, oh, wow, that is cool. And, and I'm glad that it's been <laughs> clarified that it's actually the case and not just a mistake. So it's good. Yep, yep. Yeah, that's that's... Sounds good for me. Oh, the next mm-hmm. one looks looks huge. This is insane. But I do like Ugh. its format because it's 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 dot points, which is good. You can just follow the the steps. So we've got a dwarf ballista. How does it work when they target a battlefield target? So the battlefield target is basically the person. Most of the time, you, you're doing a battlefield target because you don't have a wall. So you follow the steps. Yeah. You just hit and scatter as normal. If you the scatter hits a combat, you roll to see which model in the combat is hit the same way as a shooting attack yep cool no problem making the way that they're required yes which you almost always have to do for some reason um once you've worked out which model is hit they suffer a strength nine hit if the the hit model was in a fight then all the models in the fight will suffer a strength nine hit and be knocked prone that's a good thing i like that that's a good line i like that yeah no that's good so and be knocked prone if they have a strength five or lower so we've got a bit of a yeah set up there which is fine but they still suffer the hit if they're if they're strength six or higher if the model that was hit has a strength 5 or lower, they are then flugged D6 directly away from the ballista, even if they're already slain, which is interesting, so you get a, a corpse going across the board. The flung model will stop if it hits terrain or a model with a strength 6 or higher, as normal, I guess. The flung model and the terrain will then suffer a strength 6 model. So you can get hit by a dead model and suffer a strength 6 hit, which I think is probably the biggest change to that one. And then any model with a strength 5 or lower that is passed over will be knocked prone and suffers a strength 6 hit. That is actually very clear. It's very long, but it's very clear. It, it, it is, it is. But it, it, this is one of the I've I've been talking. I've talked to people about the ballista and, and so on before. And people, I, I did a video about um, trebuchets not so long ago on the uh, YouTube channel, and someone was asking about the order, how you roll for fights, and do you roll in the ways, and then do you ha- when when who gets scattered into who. So it's incredibly clear. This is this is exactly how an FAQ should be done. This is this is this is top marks top marks <laughs> it works and it's great I, I love the the fact that you're in a fight and everyone gets hit strength nine so it's it's real risk it, it, it's it negates that downside of you know potentially if you're shooting into a combat against a big hero um that's being surrounded or something you could do some damage to your big hero as, as well so it's it's really good i love that 
Yeah, no, I, I've got no problem with this. I hope this turns to the format of the, the rules in the future. So when we get the inevitable new rule book, which will happen at some time in the future, I hope that the examples are this clear because it's very easy to follow. Yes, it takes up a lot of print, but I think it's worth it. I think you, you're getting towards technical language here and very step-by-step, step, which is it's a good thing, very good thing. Uh, the next Absolutely. one. Absolutely. Not many in here. <clears throat> if an enemy model charges Grimo and wins a fight, can they strike the horse? No. Easy. Yeah, fair. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Someone's tried to do that on me before as well. We didn't know what to do. Um, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, which is, yeah, it was a little bit ambiguous, so you could argue it either way. No, you can't because it's clear. Fair enough. Um, if an enemy model commands Grimo to charge an en- enemy model, will this cause Grimo to have revealed his true allegiance? Uh, no, as a charge was not voluntary. So commands Grimo yeah. to charge an enemy model. Yeah, that, that's, I wonder what happens in the fight as well. So that's... Yeah, no, I think that that that's that that makes sense. I like the and again, yeah. it's, it's it's another one of these. Um, uh, so it's making it clarifying what makes sense in a real world situation, but it hasn't been clarified by a rule. So you know that if if someone's been transfixed and manipulated into doing something, then it's not them actually doing it. So it's it's kind of make makes sense in a in a real world situation, but the rules don't specifically say that until now. So yeah, no. No, I just just sort of got my head around it. Yeah, I'm happy with that. That's that's fine. It's mm. it's a little bit of magic protection for Grima, who who magic is really his undoing because I think he can be targeted with magic, so you can throw a fireball at him and just burn him. Exactly. The can the options for a war mimic of Harrod be shattered by the shatter magical power? No, fantastic. That power was silly. Yeah, yeah, shattering your your tusk weapons and stuff like that. I mean, uh, or, or or the sigils of defiance. That's my know, favorite right? one. Yeah. You can't, you can't sh- you can't shatter someone's sigils of defiance. That's so silly. But, or um, or yeah. the um, tough and hide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like some that you're shattering like his outer layer of skin or something. Yeah, that, that, this is the shatter power is a silly one as well. It's one of those again. It's one of these special rules that just always causes issues, doesn't it? It does. It's it's very much the Floy rule as well. It's, it's the same sort yeah, of idea. Exactly. And does sigils of defiance option for the war mimic affect the the mimic as well? Yeah. Well, that's an interesting one. Yes, it does. Of course. Yeah, and I'm I'm trying to think why so someone would ask this because I know you get like a five up save, don't you? For is it five or six up save for for um, the sigil of defiance? So maybe it's because people think, well, no, it's just about the magic, and and I don't know, it, but I, I can sort of I don't understand why it wouldn't. But then actually, now I think about it, I've probably used sigils of defiance and not taken the save from the mimic, so it's good that it's there actually. Once again, clarity is good. That's fine. Specific models, specific okay. ones. Oh, we move on to The Hobbit. There is nothing. That's good. There's per- nothing. The perfect book. No. Oh, well, yeah, there you go. Okay, no, we're right. So the only oh. thing in Magenta is the thing that says the changes are highlighted in Magenta. So that was the change to it. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, there are some stuff in the uh, commentary, though. So yes. uh, it does say, how, how does the interaction between Barlin's Longbeard special will work when played against Elrond's foresight of the Eldar? Uh, Elrond must use any foresight points he wishes to use before Barlin uses long, be- long beard special rule. After dice has been re-rolled, Elrond may not use any more foresight points. That's that's quite a good clarification, actually. And that's actually different from the main game usually does uh, re-rolls before bite. Um, so this is pretty much the opposite. You've got to use your your points to modify first, and then the re-roll becomes an option. So that's that's good they've clarified that, because that's actually different to what I would have expected. Uh, yes, and actually, I, I, the same here, because my, my instinct in my head is that Elrond is more powerful at seeing the future than Barlin, um, so he should therefore be able to spend his foresight points after Barlin has used his re-roll. But, but no, it's not that way. Um, so I kind of disagree with that um, ruling, actually, but it's a, I think it should definitely have been the other way around. But hey... That's, that's that's what it is. So that's what it is. 
I don't care because Elrond's power is super powerful and I'm not using Violet against him. So this is a one that doesn't affect me, so therefore I don't care about fair it. Enough. <laughs> no, that, <laughs> fair that, enough. No, that's not fair. I actually don't mind it either way, to be honest. I, I think I can, I can see your argument. I can see the arguments. Um, I, I actually don't have a problem either way. As long as it's clear, I think that's probably the way to do it. Fair uh, enough. Uh, the next one is Biffa uses his embedded axe blade. Can he use his two-handed weapon or piercing strike? Uh, no, he can't. And when he's using his embedded axe blade, he'll only ever roll a single d6 when he makes a strike, even if the enemy is trapped. So this is the one where he does a single strike and tries to get the axe in his head. So Yes, because you get the free heroic combats after that, which is, or is it moves? I can't remember. It's one or the other. Um, and I know exactly who this is targeting. Um, <laughs> there's a guy called Kalman, uh, who, uh, and, and I think Will Champion has done it as well, but uh, he, he plays with um, the Iron Hills quite a lot, and, and he loves doing piercing striking with Biffa's uh, axe, going two-handed, all this sort of stuff, so that he can get loads of free heroic combats. Sorry, Kalman, you're not having that anymore, <laughs> which, is, which is fair enough. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it, it does make sense, because the whole idea of the rule is, but with an axe, and you get lucky, and you get a load of heroic combats. That's fine. But, um, yeah, piercing striking with it is just silliness, really, isn't it? <laughs> yep, yep, fair enough. No, it's, it's good it's targeting someone individually. I like that. Very specific <laughs> yeah. as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's a very specific rule. It's a very specific counter to someone who beats Jay on occasion with those rules. <laughs> not, not saying that that's the reason it's there, because <laughs> it makes perfect sense. But it's almost like, this is, this is going to stop you from doing this to me now. <laughs> It does make sense that the ones that Jay experiences in person are the ones that he changes as well, because uh, it's pretty easy to, to bring it to your attention when someone says, this is how it works. And you say, hey, I'm the writer. This is how it works. And they go, no, I think you're reading it wrong. So you can quickly make yeah. a document that fixes it up nicely. Um, yeah, exactly. As a rule, you can't stack the flail with his um, Iron Master special rule to get a two plus to wound. It's only a three plus to wound hero. So yeah, fine. That was pretty consistent with what it was before. Yeah, exactly. That's 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 absolutely fine. Man. No no issues there. Yep. And the um, do the banners on his sig- signal tower count as a banner? I wish they would tell me how big the signal tower was. But anyway, do they count as a banner for scenarios that award victory points for having a banner? Yes, because they're banners. Yeah, fair enough. That, I, I can't see how anyone would have thought any different to that because it says banners. But anyway, yeah, that's fine. And um, the, the the signal tower is a very strange one, isn't it? I, I love I, I, the idea of having a signal tower that I've, I've seen some people doing them, and they're really sprawling, uh, huge, like you know. 12 inch wide towers that look amazing um and i but I, I love the idea that someone could get a 25 mil base and just have like a really long pole um on top of it and that's the signal tower as well because it <laughs> but it's just silliness isn't it but uh yeah it'd be nice to see a model for it but i don't think that's ever gonna happen to be honest yeah no i look, really hope it does or at least we get a, a guide to make you know just something because like it can be anything essentially from a castle to a to a coaster and i've seen i've seen yeah. both yeah I, exactly i've seen some funny ones it's it's Good, good that it uh, leaves people with their own imaginations to do things. So that's good. <laughs> okay, fair. It could, yeah, encourages variety. Yep, fair enough. We'll be consistent. Can the White Wag be chosen as a target to be protected or killed in the Fog of War scenario? Yes. So this is Azog's White Wag, basically saying it's a separate Ooh. hero, which is um, which is kind of interesting because Azog would most likely be the leader. So that's that's something that that adds to extra variety and. Yeah, look, I I don't care either way. I'm a, I am an Azog player. I've played Azog a bit, so I don't. I'm not playing him at the moment, but I definitely have. But I like this because it it, it gets more um more bluffing and stuff going on. So that's fine with me. Yeah, but it's good actually. I would never have even thought of doing it. And um, so so I like that it's it's included in here because it flags it up as a thing. Oh, okay. If I'm facing 
I want to deal with Azog, so because, or I, I, maybe I don't. I might have to want to avoid him, but it forces your hand a little bit now in Fog of War because you can't avoid Azog because it could be that you have to kill his Warg, which is great. I love that. Yep. And it doesn't mean, and it means that Azog can't just go charging him willy nilly trying to kill stuff. You have to. He has to worry about protecting his Warg potentially because it could be a target. True. He could always dismount and, and let the Warg go running away because the Warg's easy to keep protected. Because I think the Warg is the one that's. Causes terror and he, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, the next one and the last one, which is good, we're getting through these quickly. The troll yeah. catapult does not count as having a troll upgrade. The one that was on the the mortal catapult, so that's fair enough. So this is the Azog's Legion troll catapult, the one that's a troll, basically saying everything's in the profile. It's not going to get an extra upgrade on top of that. Yeah, I I think because the I guess the it's basically wondering if you get the reroll for um. It's scattering and all that sort of stuff. So I guess that's fair enough. I, I assume it still counts as a troll in the sense that it's got three wounds and it's got a high fight and all that sort of stuff, but it just doesn't get the rerolls. So that's yeah, fine. Yeah, that's it's, it's specifically the reroll upgrade. So so there's a list, I think, in the rule book or somewhere there's a list of like all the catapult and um and siege weapon upgrades all in one. So I can I yeah. can see where people have got confused from this because it is a troll, but the troll upgrades something different. So it's a good clear what i thought it would be yeah i'm, I'm trying to have a look at, into the upgrade that it says yeah the troll it, it specifically says it's a it's an additional crew member that may re-roll hit to hit and roll on the scatter chart providing blah blah, blah. so so yeah that makes sense. yeah but i can understand why people get confused because it is an additional crew member because it's it's a troll and then there's a whole bunch of goblins on his back so yeah i can see where there's confusion yeah. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Gondor at War, very short as well. One for Mordor. The Witch King of Agmar counts as a le- hero of legend if he's taken a part of the Mordor list. So that's kind of cool. I could have sworn that was the case anyway. Might have I, been, I, I, might I, been I, already. It could be inconsistent. It could be that it was in the um, the, the main rule book, but not in the Gondor at War or something like that. Sometimes uh, that okay, happens. Okay, mate, yeah. I, either way, it's... I, I'm. I was, yeah, it, it makes sense to me, and I, I think I probably would have played played it like that, even if it wasn't. Yep. So, <laughs> just because you sort of assume so. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's fine. Yep. And there's only, no, that's um, the only one, isn't it? Uh, yep. And there's a couple in the designers' notes which are quick as well. Uh, Floy, yes, Floy's turning up in everyone. So if he <laughs> removes every time like a model comes out of a rule, you have to FAQ what Floy does to that one. I feel I feel like we need a <laughs> yeah. Floy like special book. There's just a hardback book of all the stuff that Floy can do. So. <laughs> yeah. If Floy removes Hurin's line of command special rule during a turn, and then the leader in the same army as Hurin is slain during that turn, does the opponent player gain victory points for slaying the enemy leader? No, as victory points are only counted calculated at the end of the game. So you can't do any trickiness with that one. So maybe in the maybe could you do it in the last turn though? That, that, I think they need to FAQ FAQ this again. <laughs> More Floy FAQs. I want to know if you deactivate it in the last turn of the game. Does that negate the rule? But I'm guessing not. I'm but guessing not. <laughs> my argument is still it's still not clear, though, is it? You could, I could, I could easily argue that. So I'm, I, I want another FAQ. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't think so. I think you're being a bit optimistic there. I think, uh, I think the calculation so. is not a turn. I think it's just the turn finishes and then you calculate. But I could be wrong. We need maybe we need an FAQ about the uh, the end of the game sequence. Who knows? <laughs> oh, this is the fun of it. Oh, Floy, Floy, Tammy, Floy. <laughs> And the last one here, if Mary dismounts from Durnhelm, can he remount during a later turn? Or later turn, sorry? No, which which is interesting because I would have assumed that as normal for the dismounts, but um, other people apparently going the other way as well. Yeah, I, I, I don't really know because passengers and dismounting and mounting, it's all it's very unclear of whether that's mm. actually a, a sort of rule in the game because uh, 
There's, a, there's even a, on page 111 in the rule book, um, there is actually passengers and it's a thing, but then it's, it's talking about in scenarios that call for a model to travel as a passenger, then there's all sorts of rules and then you can mount up in a scenario, but because it's sat next to the, the advanced rules of like heavy objects and stuff, which are special rules for the game, it's all a bit confusing as to how, how, how these rules are, are in a match play game. So I think the general gist is don't use them, just ignore them. But yeah, I'm I'm glad that they've clarified that in a in a sense. But I don't think anyone was really doing merry dismounting from Durham that often. I don't I don't know. I, it, it doesn't feel like something that that people would do. I can't see the advantage. Maybe there is. Oh, or I certainly can't see the advantage of it happening. At, once you've dismounted him, wouldn't you want to just keep him off there? I don't know. It, it depends if you needed like two models to go capture objectives, or you wanted to keep one near gambling, mm. and you wanted to go send someone else somewhere else. Like yeah, I, I, I could see good. some advantages, but I feel like it's one of those ones that you're working pretty hard for for giving up that that little uh, charge bonus. But then, yeah, if you knew you could get it back, you could go do some things, tag some objectives in like one of those tag the objective ones, come back in, remount, fight. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure there's some some corner cases where people can do them, but yeah, I'm happy with I've that. No one. doubt about it. <laughs> yeah, 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 that makes sense. Yep, we're moving through. We're almost at the end. We're almost at the end. Where I can see the end of this only about a couple of hours away. But the next one, <laughs> Scaring the Shire, my favorite one. So it it sort of pains me a little bit to see all this magenta here. Two things: the Shire. Add the following to the Shire army list. Dunedain encounters minor heroes if taken as part of the Shire army list. You may only include Dunedain in the Shire force if it contains Gandalf the Grey. Okay, sure, that's fine. I think it was already in that in the main rulebook, but um, yeah, I think that's the only issue, isn't it? That it, it that it's not it wasn't consistent with the main rulebook, yeah. but that rule was in the main rulebook. So yeah, it's it's good that it's in there as well because it, it doesn't confuse things because some people like to say, oh yeah, this is the Scaring Shire, so so therefore this is the most up to date thing, so I can now do. Something that's a bit naughty. Yeah, yeah. And then the Shire one. To the Shire list, Gandalf the Grey counts as a hero of valor is taken as part of the Shire list. Uh, if your army includes Gandalf, you may not include Frodo, Sam, Mary, or Pippin. Yep, sure. So this is basically... Again, you, same. Yeah. Can you, t- you can still take him with Bullroarer, can't you? It's the no the named hobbits, isn't it? Yeah, but isn't there a thing about... Yeah, Bullroarer yeah, bull is the... the that he can't be used with other named Hobbit heroes, but Gandalf can be used with Bullroarer, so yeah, it's all good. Yeah, but so yeah, that's exactly the same as the Shire book in the, army's, uh, yes. the Lord of the Rings army book. So. Yep, and that's it for Scaring the Shire. There's no designer's commentary, so that, that's good. Excellent. War of Rohan, uh, let's have a look here. Once again, two, and they're very short. Haldir's points cost are 85, so that's just consistent with what he is throughout. No problem there. Yeah, but I think that's because um, the normal Haldir comes with out a bow and you have to pay five points for the bow and this one he has to have the bow so they've just upped the price by yep. five points yeah so it's probably one of those oversight copy and paste type issues and they fix it up and, and another one which i think is exactly the same thing the isengard mm-hmm. trolls war drum cost 25 points instead of free yeah fine that yeah. makes all sense nice to clarify those sorts of things oh we've done these very right. well Lots of agreement. Yeah, we've here. done this very well. But now we've got the the main rule book which i suspect there's a few things that uh, that you might want to talk about in there. Oh, quite possibly, quite possibly. Maybe we should do the FAQ part first. Let's do okay. that. So, so is this the, the, so the, the designer's commentary? Or designer's the commentary, yes. Yes, let's do the designer's yeah, commentary okay, for a start. Because this is just clarifying stuff that, that people have yeah, asked sure. Jay during his game. Mm-hmm. If a characteristic <laughs> is half for whatever reason, is it rounded up or down? Always rounded up 
unless a special rule states otherwise. I think the bat swarm might be the only thing I remember that does that. There may be some other things, but yeah. That's the only one that's jumping out at me. The bat swarm definitely rounds down, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I, or it did, did last time I checked. Maybe they've changed it, but yeah, round it up. Okay, fair enough. That's cool. We don't have to do bankers rounding or anything crazy like that. Mm-hmm. The next one, does terrain such as rocks that are inherent to a model's base block line of sight? No, so you can't just build up some rocks on the base and block line of sight or... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. This one's slightly odd though because I, uh, I've always been told true line of sight for um, uh, Middle Earth, and it, it's it's a bit weird because now, now, although Gulliver has a big rock there, you can't you see. Can you see through it then? Like it's going to be a bit more difficult to actually work out what's blocking line of sight. It makes so much sense that that you know that you don't um, that you can't just build a lot of rocks on your base to block line of sight. That's fine. But equally, it does mean it's a bit awkward to then try and work out what's behind that. Do you then pretend that Gulliver is on the base, flat, flush on the base? It, um, it, I think this is a bit of a, a confusing one. But okay, um, yeah. I would. This is how I I play it, and how some locals play it because because I play it essentially. Basically, for those ones, you just choose the actual model part of it. So think of the the, the rocks as just basically a clear plastic flying stand, essentially. So like like you'd have on the Fell Beast. So I treat it mm. that way, and basically it doesn't block line of sight because you don't want to carry rocks around. The advantage of being taller is that you can see a lot more, so things like, like Gulliver loves it because he can go and charge whatever he wants. The disadvantage is that everyone can shoot at you, so it's an advantage and a disadvantage for being up high. So if someone models a heroes up high, I don't care because they can see things better, but they can also be seen better. So just don't worry about how high they are, and just treat anything on the base that's not actually the model as like a clear flying stand. Yeah, I think that makes sense because I have a um, a Sauron model. I crafted it to look, stand so it looks like he's standing over the fires of, of Mount Doom. And um, people are like, "Hey, you did that just so that you can see over rock, uh, over uh, terrain, and cast uh, Chill Soul more more, uh, more times." I was like, "Oh yeah, I didn't even think of that." But it also means that people can shoot me over terrain as well, so it's fine. These things are. Is, is back and forth on both of them, isn't it? Yeah, I actually don't think it matters a huge amount. So that's how I play yeah, it. Not really. Um, hopefully that turns <clears throat> up in magenta next time. That'll be really cool if someone mentions the flying stand. <laughs> yeah, good idea. Yeah. <laughs> I doubt that. Uh, so no, I doubt it. Um, but can a model still back away if they've moved their full move value or have been immobilized or affected by a special rule that prevents them from moving any further that turn? Yes, yes, they can because uh, it's basically backing away doesn't count as moving, so uh, must always be done. So. That's that's good that it's clarified. I feel like that has been clarified before, but um, it's good that it, it does, I think. Yeah, I think it's probably the, the move value. I, th- that, I think that's new, but it definitely had it for the immobilize because people are arguing that immobilize, mm. you couldn't do anything and backing away is doing something, but it's sort of a an autopilot thing. It just happens. So it might be during the fight, someone whacks you and you get knocked back a little bit or whatever. Yeah, um, exactly. So that, that's fine. Can a model choose to make way for a friendly model if the friendly model could back away in a direction that it would not require a model to make way? Yes. So you have to back away, you have to make way the shortest distance, but the person who's backing away gets to choose entirely which way they back away as long as it's following yeah. all the rules. Like it's got to be backwards essentially and it's got to, because it, it's circle bases. But yeah, you can yeah. go and push a model back. And I see why people, why this has been asked, because it, it it can be an advantage to get an extra inch of movement for that guy who's standing behind you. So you know, if you want if you want to back away into them so that they get pushed onto an objective, great. Uh, so fair enough uh, that it's clarified that it's good. Uh, I like I like the the thought that goes into this one. Yep, yeah, I've got no problem with this one at all. That that that's I could see people asking that, and I can see that being a very clear way of doing it. Okay, can a cavalry yeah. model use the courage value of their mount when making a courage test? No, 
interesting because mm. usually they're combined profiles. So that's very strange. I could see that coming up on Drain Courage. Like if you went, okay, Elendil, Drain Courage, Drain Courage, Drain Courage, Drain Courage. It's possible that, I don't know if that course has a courage value, but but whatever the mount is, maybe Azog's White Wag or whatever, can't use the mount. Yeah, I, and I think also if you're trying to make your army run um, and you say, Ooh. well, I'm, I'm not going to use uh, Gilgalad's... Uh, Courage seven. I'm going to use my horse as courage two or three or whatever it is. Then that would be a, a reasonable uh, fix to that issue. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Well, now that you've said it that way, I actually don't mind this. I think that's that makes a lot of sense. That the the yeah. the person riding gets to choose whether it runs or not. And yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm happy with that. Yeah. Exactly. If a model riding a wag is surrounded in combat, is knocked prone before any strikes are made, and the wag passes its courage test. Where is the model placed? Yeah, this one's this one's interesting. Actually, I've I've had this one happen before. Can all models in the fight strike both the rider and the mount? Treat both the mount and the rider as occupying the same space for the duration of the fight. Okay, that's cool. If models may mm-hmm. strike either the oh sorry, all models may strike either the rider or mount, which is normally what we do. If after the fight is completed, both the mount and rider are still alive, move models the minimum amount so that both can be placed as close as possible to where the mount originally was. Okay, so basically you just um just fudge it, try and fit them both in. Just fudge it until uh, until you can move everything around in the space. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that, I'm, I'm happy with it. It's there. an awkward it's it's an awkward uh, situation, isn't it? And I can see why you, the, the, it's, it's caused some issues. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 sort of like the new trap now as well. Where you, like you just separate them by a mill, just so you don't accidentally think they're together next turn. But it's a little yeah. bit of fudging, and it doesn't make a huge difference, especially if you both know it's a fudge. Uh, so, how many heroic actions? Claire per turn, one per turn, or one per phase. And it's one per phase. I, I thought that was quite clear as it was, but um, clearly not enough. <laughs> not clear enough, but yeah, okay. So yeah, you can't you can't do, um, you know, you, you can definitely do a heroic move and then a heroic shoot and then a heroic combat, if yep. you so wish. Yep, sure. <clears throat> then, if two opposing hero models in the same fight both declare a heroic combat and the hero that wins the roll-off dies during the fight... Does the other hero still get to move on for their heroic combat? No, the hero can only move on if their heroic combat is successful. As the other hero won the roll off, their heroic combat is the one that happens first, which was unsuccessful. This would essentially cancel the other hero model's heroic combat. If I'm completely honest, I don't have a clue what this is saying. Okay, I'll explain it because I understand that. Please do. I'll give examples. Oh, good. So, um, what model do you have? What's your hero? Are you Candish King? Are you happy with that? Yeah, go with Candish King. That'll go with a chariot. Yep. Okay. So uh, your Kardish King charges my Aragorn. So we both got it. Mm-hmm. We think we've got a good chance of, of going at each other. Um, although cool. I, you may not get the monstrous charge or something like that because of our strength values, but who who cares? So we're fighting yeah. each other. I'm I'm Aragorn, so I'm like, oh, I just call a free heroic combat. I might as well because that's what that's what I do. And you say, well, I'm going to be super brave and I'm going to call a heroic combat. And uh, basically, mm-hmm. what happens here now is we roll off to see whose heroic combat we are dealing with. So if I win the roll off and I'm Aragorn. I go and I say, yeah. right, I'm doing my heroic combat. I turn around, I roll the triple ones. I look at it, I go, oh, I've got, not got enough might to win this. Uh-oh, the Kandish King proceeds to kill me. It doesn't count as the Kandish King's heroic combat because it was Aragorn's heroic combat that we we're resolving. Nothing happens afterwards. So just Aragorn uh, dies. Ah, yes. Uh, okay, yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Okay, I can see why that would be confusing because... I have killed you, so I should get my heroic combat. But yeah, oh, that's 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 a little bit mean, isn't it? In some ways, but okay, that's cool. That's a good clarification, and I I can't ever imagine that having happened. It seems very unlikely, but yeah, that that's good. This this sorted that issue out if it was one. Yeah, look, I didn't know how that that had happened that way, but I can see it being useful because what I could do is 
Aragorn's going to call a heroic combat against, say, Bill Fernie. What I could do is say, mm-hmm. okay, well, Bill Fernie's going to call a heroic combat as well, knowing full well that I can't kill Aragorn, but I would definitely die in the combat. So if my heroic combat goes off first, then Aragorn's only killing Bill Fernie rather than killing everyone else because Bill Fernie doesn't this have a strike or doesn't have anything else. So it might be a decent option in that case. Yeah, and, and even in a situation where you've got um, a model that has free heroic combats as standard, no, they have no other might. Um, they could potentially cancel other people's heroic combats. Like I'm trying to think, like you know, we were mentioning Biffa earlier. He gets free heroic combats. He's got no fate, one wound left, uh, no, nothing else to do. Might as well declare a free heroic combat just to stop somebody else. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, pretty much. It's a, it's a cancel one. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Interesting. Hmm. What happens if two hero models from the same force declare a heroic move within six inches of each other? This happens all the time, doesn't it? If the first one calls with me, will the second hero also be able to call with me when it moves as part of the first hero's heroic move? Oh, he's got embedded heroic moves. Interesting. When the first hero calls with me, the second hero has two options. They can either move as part of the first hero's heroic move, in which case their own heroic move will be effectively cancelled, or forego their movement, in which case they will not get to move later. In either case, the second hero model's heroic move is lost and they cannot call with me. So that that's mm. how we've been playing it, essentially. So Because yeah. you only get one... You have to fully resolve one heroic before you move on to the next one, and that's consistent with that logic, where you've, you're doing your heroic move, everyone moves, and then it wouldn't be embedded in that and, and sort of chaining them off each other. I could have seen it going the other way as well, but it's good they give you both the choices just to, to forego your movement. It comes down to you, do you really want to call two at once? This happens sometimes when um, you absolutely need some options about who's going to go. So sometimes you, you end up calling both of them just because, depending on what the opponent calls, but it doesn't happen a huge amount. Yeah, and, and it, I think the problem with it is it, it can get muddy if you've got two heroes that are calling. So you've got two circles of six inches that cross over, and then you can decide, oh, that guy's going to go with him, and that guy. So it, it just it, it makes it a, a lot more clear of, of how that situation can happen. And I think it's the same with this heroic march move as well, that if a hero model declares a heroic march and another hero model within six inches declares a heroic move, how does this interaction work? The hero declares a heroic move, will move first, so they will not increase their movement as the hero who's declared the heroic march has not yet called at the double. Any models that are in the range of both heroic actions must still remain in range of both heroic models. So you can it can work, but it's, it's clarifying that those those bubbles exist and they must continue to exist. And, and the same with the previous one is that, that it, just making sure that there aren't any sort of weird crossover models that you can try and um, manipulate into doing slightly different stuff. So it's all good. That all makes sense to me. Yeah. Next one, so I'm going to go through pretty quickly because they're all straightforward, just clarifying things. So you're shooting from a hatter of a war beast. Distance is measured from the shooting model to the target or from the war beast to the target. So basically, do you measure from the beast or the beast's base or from the shooting model? You measure from the shooting model, measure from the base of the shooting model, which is interesting if you're in a um, Gorgroth beast, which doesn't have bases, uh, to the closest Mm. point of the target model. Basically, just measure from the shooter guys as you would normally. Not a problem. I, th- I think I'm pretty sure I- I'd be doing that with Haradrim in the book. So that- that's cool. That's fine. Well, that's what we normally do, but it hasn't been confirmed that it was like diagonal shooting. Um, so it's nice that it's confirmed that it is actually diagonal shooting. So, so your range is going to be decreased if you're up the top of a war beast. Yeah, fair enough. If a rider of a cavalry model has a two-handed weapon or is unarmed, can they choose to use their mount's weapon, such as teeth and claws on a wag, to attack to ensure they don't suffer the penalty? No, they can't, which is, I guess, fair enough. So if they've got the two-handed weapon, and two-handed weapon only. So I think this is specifically for, I think it's Yazneg, who's got a lance and a two-handed weapon. So if you charge Yazneg, he can only use his two-handed weapon. He can't use a... Although I think he can use a lance, you just don't get the charge bonus or something silly like that. 
Yeah, no, you can still. Yeah, do that. but there's some it's something just similar. Cutting away the chance of uh, of of your two handed guy on top of Warg, he he has to use it. That that's that's fine. Yeah, uh, it, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a bit of a shame because you know the Warg does have you know big old. Teeth, <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Fair enough. Either way, don't don't. It doesn't happen very often. I don't think that one. So it's clear. Can a model support yeah. with a spear or pike if they are prone? No. Okay. Yep, that's pretty simple. And I, I, I keep saying, I've said this to people before. No, surely they can't. And they said, no, it's only the rules. So yeah, you know. no, no, it's, it's yeah. I'm glad that's been sorted because that's a silly thing, silly, silly. It does come up in arguments uh, occasionally. Next one, go for it. It does, yeah. Uh, if model with a banner flees, can they pass the banner to a friendly model in the same way as if they've been slain? Of course they can. Yes, that's fine. Interesting. No, we we um we hit played it the other way. So that's yeah, that that's good. It's been clarified because well, I think I think it, in my head, I always imagine someone running away. They're not going to run away, run carrying the huge banner of Minas Tirith or whatever. They're just going to chuck that on the floor and run off. And then someone go, oh, I'm, I'm next to this. I will pick up the banner because I'm proud of Minas Tirith because I'm still heroic and stuff. So this all makes sense in my head. So. I don't but, know. Yeah, Some of those banners, why. you pretty much have to tie it to yourself. So if you run, you're carrying the banner with you at times. So it could be, you can oh, justify yeah, it either suppose, way. But... <laughs> no, it's clear. As an evil player, I quite like this because uh, it happens a lot to me. A lot of times my banner yes. guy, please. <laughs> True. Uh, so if a hero model is treated as a banner, the friendly model still benefit from this hero, uh, this if the hero is prone. And this is quite a good ruling, actually, because um, it's very specifically responds. It says mm. this is, will depend on the wording of the rule. Some hero models will count as a banner, in which case they must be standing to benefit friendly models. Others say that friendly models within X inches count as being in range of a banner, in which case they do not need to be standing to benefit the friendly models. So I think I'm trying to think of specific examples. I think Aragorn, um, his six inch, I, don't, I think he counts as a banner. Um, I'll have to have a, a, a flip through the book, but some people specifically count as a banner and some people don't. So it's, um, it's quite interesting the, 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 how you divvy these up and which one gets which one. So let's just look at the uh, LSR. He, uh, say. So friendly models within six inches of Aragorn count as being in range of a banner. So Aragorn's fine, but some things aren't going to be fine. Mm, yeah. I think, the, for example, the Candish King, I think, counts as a banner. Yes, yeah, so there's quite a few both ways, and I think it's things that count in profiles, like um, I think the Dol Amroth offhand, they count as being in range of a banner or something like that, so um, yes, I could, I could true, be wrong. Yeah. But uh, either way, yeah. it's probably the closest thing we've got to technical writing that we, we've had. This is very specific, and it, it sounds like it's specific for a reason, so mm, good. Yeah, I, I like that it's, it's clarifying, it and, and it's clarifying it in a way that says, this is intentional, this is, how, th- these is, this is why these rules are slightly different ways. So, uh, yeah, it's good that. I have a feeling it's more this bit of coincidence and you can justify it. But either way, <laughs> either way, I'm Maybe. Happy. I, don't, I don't know the reasoning behind it. I, I, yeah, Let, let's go with yours. Let's give benefit of the doubt and say it was definitely intentional. Good, good. Let's go with <laughs> uh, Right, uh, who's the next one? The next one is, oh, it's about Sorcerer's Blast. So we get moving away from balance mm, to yes. magical powers. Can models be forced out of combat by magical powers such as Sorcerer's Blast, Command, Compel, or Instill Fear? And it says, a model cannot be moved out of combat by the likes of Command, Compel, or Instill Fear, but it can be blasted out of combat by Sorcerer's Blast. Cool. Yep, easy. I think that's consistent with what we've, uh, what most people have probably been doing, but it's good. No, no, it's it's can question it. Happy with it. Nothing much to say about that one. If a hero model of a weapon or war gear that has an active special rule, such as Andrew Sting, Shield of Kirith Ungle, all that sort of stuff, is immobilized or transfixed, do they count as unarmed or having lost that war gear, or is it only the active special? Oh, I see where this is going. The active special rule yeah. associated with the war gear that is negated, only the active part of the rule. 
So Aragorn's holding yeah. a sword. If someone um, transfix him, he's still holding a sword. It's just not he doesn't have the ability to use it as a special sword. Okay, cool. Yeah, that, that's that's good. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. But I can see what people are trying to do there. <laughs> nice try. Yep. Um, the Shroud of Shadows one. This is one that as a necromancer I should be using, but I don't use it a whole lot. It's um, it's a good spell, but I probably should be using it more. Um, this is more like the bat. This is the equivalent of a bat swarm or something like that, but a magical power, right? More like the ring. So it's basically turning. Okay. Your, yeah. Yep, giving some of the ring. So if you if you don't channel it, you can move through guys, and and um, if you channel it, you can half their fight value as well as getting all their terror stuff. So okay. it's critical. If a model has a shroud of shadows cast upon it, does it benefit from the same rules for invisibility as those that apply to the one ring? Yes, though the model will still only half the fight value the enemy models engage with if it's channeled. Okay, I don't know why it needs a second part, but yes, so you get the the ring, one ring invisibility, which I think most people are playing it as just assuming that was the case. Cool. Can a model that casts the Sorceress Blast magical power use might points to boost the roll to wound on the initial target? The model's hit when the initial target is blasted back, or both. And it's only against the initial target of the Sorceress Blast. So so you can roll to wound that first guy to make sure that they get wounded, but not the person it bounces into. Yep. <laughs> not a problem. Cool. That's um, good. If a model in a water feature is paralyzed, does it still take a swim test or does it automatically drown? Oh, this one I don't actually know the answer for. Let's have a look. The model will still take a swim test. This represents the model will float or sink under the weight of its war gear. Okay. okay. Yeah. Enough. So Ooh. it's not actually to do with swimming. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's uh, interesting. That's fair call because it, you do get modifiers based on your weight. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> when firing a siege engine, do I draw a line of sight from the crew or from the siege engine itself? Uh, and the answer is, from any members of the crew, a siege engine doesn't have eyes. Yeah, there you go. Mm. So note that when determining in the ways the shot will come from the siege engine, though, not the crew, which also Because the sense. siege engine yeah. has eyes. Yep, gotcha. <laughs> exactly. Continuing with siege engines, we've got a few. I'll go through all these. Oh, yeah, uh, if the crew of a siege engine have uh, moved, can they still fire the siege engine? No, they can't. So that's good. Uh, I think that you, there are some circumstances where you can say, like, the troll moves the seed uh, the catapult so can the other guys shoot yes. no, there you go. Yep. Uh, can models fire an enemy siege engine if they move into base contact with it no that models can never fire an enemy siege engine and can a good siege engine with an area effect target an enemy model if by doing so the area effect would directly harm a friendly model no yep. now this is interesting i thought that you could until now couldn't you or you could no, you can scatter into them. I that's think you fine. can scatter. Like it still says you can scatter there, but you, it's targeting yeah. a model. I think that's been pretty consistent. But I, I know that people yeah. um, who are using that dwarf, uh, whatever, whatever thing that does, uh, um, the ballista thing. Yeah, I guess that's true. And yeah. the, the if it's if it's the line of sight thing is is different, but uh, the splash damage thing might might you might think differently. I don't know. But anyway, that's clarified that. And um, if a shot from a siege engine scatters, can it scatter onto a model that's out of its maximum range? Or one that is out of line of sight. Yes, it can, but only if the model uh, is if the model is out of line of sight, then it can only be scattered onto if the siege engine has the volley fire special rule. So, so that's I guess that's clarifying that mm. the dwarf ballista um, that shoots in a straight line can't scatter out of line of sight, but the trebuchets or whatever can. Yep. Can a siege engine be knocked prone? No, and I can't. I guess if you wanted to double your wounds against it, that would make sense, but mm. it can't. 
Okay. When a demolition Ooh. charge detonates, do you roll a separate D6? Oh, this is fantastic. I have this argument so many times. Do you roll a separate D6 for each mole within two inches to see how many wounds? Or a single D6 and apply that to all the moles within two inches? A single D6, each mole within two inches will suffer that many wounds. Models that have fate may try to save each wound individually. Okay, I prefer it the other way. I don't care that it's clarified because it was ambiguous. Mm. I, I liked it the other way mainly because there was some pressure on uh, will it kill all the heroes? This one, it's either pretty much it's all or nothing. It's either really strong or it's a dud, but um, it's clear. Yeah, and I think I think this this is I I like it this way because it it feels like it's consistent with the 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 way a bomb would explode. If you've got a really good bomb, then it causes loads of damage. But if you've got a really weak bomb that someone's not done very well putting it together, then it's not going to cause as much damage. Yeah, I don't have as much experience with bombs as you do, so um... I I (laughs) yes, I don't have uh, many bombs day-to-day life but it, it makes sense yeah fair, fair, fair enough can an engineer captain have models other than the siege engine crew in their warband no okay so it's just the is it the upgraded one or not at all no no okay I no, think that makes sense. yeah the it's the upgrade one isn't it the the 50.1 i yeah. think so either way and, and, and I, yeah and actually i think this this kind of makes it confirms that nobody will ever really use those engineer captains now because i i've seen people use uh, an engineer captain uh, to get the extra might and also to include a few extra people in the war band so that it's mm. um so that it's you know for, for points purposes it makes a bit more sense but now you just I, no. there's no way you're going to spend 50 points for that one point of might it's just it's just not really worth it is it yeah i i just because they gave that free point of might now like i think before you might consider it occasionally but now that you get yeah. one it's like yeah it's just too much for one it should be should be Absolutely. half a point or something just to and tempt I, people I, I think the the other reason you can take them is if I want to do an army of entirely siege weapons, they're all heroes of fortitude, so you can do it. Whereas the rules about siege engines means that you have to have a hero of fortitude per siege weapon. So, so I guess you could, if you really wanted to do an army of only trebuchets, then you can by doing an engineer captain. That's the only way you would want to do it. My goodness, what kind of person are you? Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, uh, in, what are we on to now? So, we're on to in scenarios where you score victory points for killing enemy hero models or the lead still scored if the hero model is removed as a casualty in another way. For example, if they flee the board, are reduced to zero will when they have the will of evil or any other situation similar to that. Yes, you'll still score the victory points if the enemy hero or leader was removed as a casualty. So, that's fine. Great. That's good. Yep. No, that's that's one that people have discussed <clears throat> in our local area occasionally. And, and um, no, I, I love that ruling. That's good. That's good. It'd be shonky if you did it the other way around and had. The the a ring wraith go oh well I'm going to just cast a uh, you know immobilize on so, uh, spend all the rest of my yes. will to to negate the value of you getting the points so yeah 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 that that's the one particular isn't it where it's uh, I'll do a fifteen will black dart yep cool you can't kill me now yeah exactly in scenarios that use maelstrom a battle special rule can models that are commanded compelled to charge an enemy model on the first turn do so uh, no you got to only the the wag war band I think can charge on the first turn that um. And and the ones that don't do it voluntarily, like the chariots and the uh, Mumak, I think. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, I'm, add, all, I'm adding extra good. words to it, adding extra commentary because it's uh, <laughs> got to make it complicated. <laughs> Potentially, be wrong. yeah, yeah. Additional complications is exactly what this FAQ needed. Um, <laughs> in the Lords of Battle scenario, do wounds inflict an opponent in ways other than being dealt by my army count towards my wound tally? The answer is yes. Essentially, any time an enemy model is removed as a casualty, you will add the points onto your wound tally. This includes, but is not limited to, 
crucial wording there, the likes of fleeing models, though you will still only score points from mounts if you actually kill them, models that are trampled or run over by friendly war beasts or chariots, or models removed by special rules such as Cardage's Heart of Darkness, and even situations such as models being removed as a result of falling damage. So I think this is trying to, the whole stabbing yourself to uh, take kills away from people, um, killing your orky, orky friends to restore your will from Cardage, trampling over your own models so that so that the enemy can't kill them themselves so that it's just getting rid of that strategy which yeah. um is it may, may, makes a bit of sense to me because i've definitely seen people trying stabbing themselves to avoid getting killed and it's not going to do that anymore so that's good because yeah. i guess you're you're throwing yourself willy-nilly at someone's uh someone's sword um which still counts as i'm killing you really doesn't it that makes me uh, i don't like that and i think it's um that makes me like that scenario even less cuz my uh, one of my tactics with the ruffians is the whips it's um when aragorn's in combat with a guy everyone goes and whips into combat to try and kill my own guy to whiff, to hold off that point but now i can't do that so that's a bit yeah strange. that's true it's, it's a bit total strange, gamey, but, and, and yeah. yeah as and it's the same with throwing weapons into combats and stuff like that to, yeah. um, and i think i know Kylie um the from what i've watched on zopa zop uh like, had some had some good moments where she's throwing loads and loads of throwing axes into combats to stop people doing stuff. So, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah, that's definitely the tactic for evil. It's a good way of doing it. Yeah, do, do models absolutely. that may spend will points as if they were fate points uh, give points towards the wound tally for spending will points in this manner in the Lords of Battle scenario? No. So that's good news for the the Castellans and the the Necromancer. Will points are spent as if they were fate points, uh, though they are not themselves fate points. Therefore, do not count. So that's great. So you don't give up twelve points of whatever for castellan you just give up the the one for the wound interesting that's good yeah that is good do models that are benefiting from fury give points towards the wound tally for making a fury save no neither do not that's yeah, good because cool. fury isn't isn't fate so that's good yep oh, can you and imagine finally yeah gosh yeah that would be really annoying with all the goblins of in the world taking fate saves no gosh that would be awful uh, and then finally for the uh errata or the bit. Designers commentary. In recon, do models that have escaped the board count as being on the board for determining whether a force has been broken or reduced to 25%? Yes, they do. They still count as being part of that. So you have to kill them. I feel like that one's been changed like every single edition over and over again, backwards and forwards. So that's, that's, that's I think that's clear for now. So if, for, for now. <laughs> if they escape the board, they count as being on the board at all times. So both for the broken and the reduced to 25%. So if you run off the board, the reduced to 25% is concerning because you may not be able to reduce to 25%. Uh, but the broken one is clear as well. So that's, yeah, this. uh, uh. I feel like I need a whole episode just on that one. I think we moved past it. This is why Recon is, is an annoying game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yes, yes. Two to go, and these are the, from the official ones, the Erratas. So this should should not take long. There's not much to discuss here, is there? Nah, there's no, it's pretty, we can just fly over these two, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Attacking the Siege Engine, change the second sentence to read... If reduced to zero wounds, remove the model for the siege engine. Uh, move the model for the siege engine from play. Any crew may then act as normal for the remainder of the game. So yeah, okay, that's fine. This is good. This is good. And and again, um, I, I mentioned him earlier. Calman uh, has a, an Iron Hills arm ballista, and he in a recent tactics video that um, Top Table Gaming did, he was talking about yeah, this is great for. Um, uh, a fog of war get choose your iron hills captain put your uh your, from the siege engine uh put the ballista in the corner of the board and so there's only just enough space for your iron hills captain to be behind the um ballista and hiding in the dark in the sort of corner where you can't see him 
um, lying on the floor, on make him go prone so no one can see him. And then even if people destroy the siege engine, they can't kill that guy, which just sounds incredibly cheesy to me. And I'm glad <laughs> you can't do that anymore. Yeah, that that yeah, that sounds like a, a fine tactic there. That's 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 up there with. It's a very the... yeah, it's a very specific counter to a Kalman tactic. Um, so uh, poor yeah. old uh, Kalman's had it taken a beating twice uh, in in these uh, yeah. FAQs with his. Strategy. That reminds me, um, Kylie used to use the um, you know, the trolls, the three trolls that have a campfire, and there'll be sometimes yes. we should set it up where a person will get trapped in between the campfire and like a wall. Like there's some yeah. some weirdness going on, or, or some some I can't remember exactly how it happened, but it's it's that sort of thing. Like this doesn't feel right. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so uh, add the following paragraph to uh, adding allies. Naturally, when multiple naturally when multiple armies ally with each other to fight together, oh. they will each be led by an appropriate leader. To represent this in game, each allied force must contain at least one hero with a heroic tier of hero of valor. Or higher, except for Wanderers in the Wild, which ignore this restriction. So, yeah, go. That makes sense. Total sense, doesn't it? No. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Oh, I, it's no. It's going to be hard to defend this one. Don't, don't do this. Okay. So, okay. I've got, I've got multiple concerns about this one. And, and firstly, one that's naturally when multiple allies ally with each other, fight together, the appropriate leader. Okay. There's nothing wrong with that sentence itself, but Valor varies quite a bit from what it is. So you get one of the most obvious ones is that, that you've got Faramir, captain of Gondor. So he's a captain, captain rank. He's a hero of Valor, whereas someone like Gamling, captain of Rohan, is Fortitude. So same rank. Same things, one can lead an ally contingent, one can't. And then you've got so many captain models that, that cannot suddenly lead it. So what you're getting now is basically the only way you can ally is if you're king. So you've got to take your king off the throne, drag him around. No one's going to ally at all unless the king's around, even if you know this alliance. So I, I, you, you, I, we don't, well, we, I guess we don't really have a monarch. We've got the same one that you guys do. So it would be like um, Britain going to war. And whenever it does that, they only ever team up with someone else, which probably would be the case if the queen's actually leading their forces. I think that's, that's what they're saying. <laughs> That is that is a very extreme way of put, making that point, but it's it is true. Um, this is this one. I I I want I want to defend the 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 purpose behind it because I think there's a sort of, there's a sort of logic here because it doesn't want to have allies being you know uh, very minor minor characters that have got special rules, but. It's just, it, it's just. There's clearly very little or no thought has been put into which heroes this is going to negatively affect, and I'm I'm pretty confident this is to do with um, pretty much exclusively to do with Kurdan, and um, and I spoke to Jay about this a while ago, and speaking about Kurdan, he said, "Oh, I'm going to. It's gonna, we're going to do something to do with the allying in um, uh, the." The, the different heroic tiers and and i didn't really think about it at the time i just thought oh yeah that that should be good because that makes sense but i didn't think of the downside and oh, you had a chance to stop this <laughs> i know i know i didn't think it well i i spoke because i i sort of whispered to him at one point oh the, the kurdan thing that lots of people keep complaining about this is this something you're gonna you're gonna change and he sort of said yeah i think we're gonna have to do something to do with heroic tiers and i was like okay okay fair enough so you, you're thinking about it but i didn't I didn't even think of any of the ramifications. I didn't really talk to talk to him in great depth about it either. It was just it was just kind of a, just a whisper. Hey, are you going to do something about Kurdan? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I think. Um, mm. But there's so many stupid 
cock-ups with this that just so annoying okay i'm gonna list them all so here we go go on then oh you got a whole <laughs> list great i do i do i've got a i've got a notebook and i've filled out um I think it's got 128 pages, so I've only got about three pages left in it. So I'll go through them one by one. Here we go. So firstly, um, my concern of this sort of game design is that if what you're saying is true, that it's Kiran and maybe a couple others that that are the problem, um, fixing doing this global fix potentially creates more problems. So I, I prefer the game's design where it's, if Kiran's a problem, Kiran's the one who cops the change. Or if it's Alfred or whom, whomever's the ally that's a problem... I don't know, uh, Shelob, whoever it is, I don't know who it is. If they're the problem, fix them. Even if it's more, even if it's four models or whatever, fix them because there are so many models that have fortitude or valor that you're going to run into problems no matter what. You're going to create more work for yourself. So it sounds like an easy option. It sounds like something that's going to be simple to do, but it's going to lead to another problem and it's going to be an unforeseen problem because you've made this global change. You want to be really careful about global changes. They're, they're, they're really dangerous, especially in FAQs. Global changes are for edition changes, not for FAQs where, as you said before, it's not probably not as much playtesting goes into an FAQ than goes into like an addition change, for example, potentially. I don't know. But I think that's... I, I think that's you're right. Well, problem. I mean, it just, just by nature of the fact that the FAQ happens every six months or so, and they're based on questions from the community, that it must... It, it, they, 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 they cannot be any, any way. And, and the, problem, the problem, of course, is that the, you're, they're addressing an issue um, that, that might have cropped up a lot, but they're not then addressing the issues that will now crop up because of this. Mm, yes, so that's that's my first first one here. My second one, uh, this one here, I don't like it from a from a narrative point of view. Just the justification. I think it it's the idea that that these these superheroes because the valor is not consistent throughout, um, and it, it's usually pretty impressive. It's it's people that have had a backstory that that have created that backstory through their heroic deeds rather than the other way around. But the idea that these these valor heroes are the ones that can only lead the alliances means that something simple, which I would think would be a pretty thematic alliance, just say I've got just a a, a typical bog standard black gate uh, Mordor Moranan army, and I want to ally in a contingent of Easterlings to represent the black gate. A captain of the Easterlings, the captain of the Easterlings, I think, is an appropriate leader at that point. The Easterlings are marching along in the actual scenario in Gondor at war. That's the forces. It's two Moranan captains and two Easterling captains with a force each. That's now an illegal army list. It's something I can't represent. I have to go and choose, like, Gothmog and Amdur as my two leaders to represent that when Gothmog was already dead and Amdur is a total Games Workshop creation that can't be in every possible area of Middle-earth at the same time. Uh, that doesn't sit well with me. I... I Captains, I don't see why they couldn't, especially with their friends, why they couldn't ally. It happens all throughout the books. There's so many alliances in Tolkien that I feel like that's just a very basic example, but that's something that, that I I don't see why it has to be Valor. I think Fortitude is definitely the, the alliance-level characters. I think the answer to this is isn't is, is, is the named things, isn't it? It's, it should be named characters aren't allowed to uh, ally into stuff that doesn't make sense. And, you know, specific examples like Alfred and Kurdan will be mentioned. Um, but captains are the the thing that is is being nerfed here and mm. or are being ruined and it's a simple addition line with the exception of captain models then it will be absolutely fine i don't think there'll be any issue with that at all um because ultimately it makes so much sense that like as you that your your argument there is is perfectly valid but the, the issue isn't isn't the making the allies it's the heroes that are leading those allies into unthematic alliances um, that you know, Kurdan being in all places at once, which doesn't make sense, or or whatever. But it makes so much sense for a captain to be 
taking a contingent of uh, Easterling somewhere or a minister of captaincy taking a contingent of guys to uh, down into um, uh, into the fiefdoms or whatever. Like, it, it, it completely ruins that. Like, you can't actually have a minister, a, a, a Dol Amroth army led by... Um, Led okay. by Imrahil and uh, and ally in a minister of captain because they've got they've taken reinforcements from the the main city yeah, or something. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. That, that's so that, <sighs> that's I agree with you on that one. But I think named heroes are not the answer either because like I don't see if anyone did anyone really have a problem with something like a a Yasneg or a Fimble or something like that allying in with a necromancer like carrying. A warband that that doesn't seem to be to be over the top. They're they're definitely from the same area. They're from the same era. They're just in different army lists because that's where they're located. Do they have to really have a babysitter? Do they need Azog holding Fimble's hand just to walk up to the necromancer? I don't I don't think so. It's encouraging those superheroes like Azog and Bolg all the time, which people already don't like. They don't want those around all the time. But you're telling me I need to create them to do my little like alliances in that area. So I have a problem with that one, and I'll keep going. The, um, one, one, oh God! There's more. There's there, more. Uh, there's so many. There's so many. You watch this, and I'll go through at a reasonable speed because, and I'm going to increase oh, the volume. No, it's fine. <laughs> Firstly, uh, the, people's armies are being invalidated. So, so straight away, out of the the frying pan, Stu, who's like doesn't know what he thinks about this one, he has a 600 point evil army. It's a it's an Azog's Legion army. Um, his army is not legal anymore. So that's literally all the models he owns from that. It cannot be played anymore, and I don't think anything about it was. Wrong. It was basically some named heroes, the Fortitude ones, and then he had a, a Gundabad troll because he likes a Gundabad troll. He's got a beautifully painted Gundabad troll, so he's that's that's been disallowed. He can't put those together anymore, which I think is concerning. That that that's always a risk when you you start invalidating people's collections and saying they have to buy more to make things work. That's concerning for a little one line or not one line, one paragraph FAQ thing, that, that's a big effect of that. And that can that can potentially stop people from playing the game or it can change their experience. You've got less variety in the game, so you've got a lot less options. So just straight out, like, I don't think it... it I don't think it's going to stop unthemed armies. I don't think it's going to increase the amount of unthemed or the amount of themed armies. I think it hits both themed and unthemed armies. But what it does is it hits less variety. So there's going to be less powerful armies. There's also going to be less unpowerful armies. There's going to be less themed armies. There's going to be less unthemed armies. There's less variety. And I don't think that's a good thing for the game. I think one of the strengths of the games has been the variety and that there's been so much to represent. So uh, just just less options. We talked about variety being good in the scenarios. Now we've suddenly got less options straight away in this one line. Yeah, so that's one. Now I've got some examples. Yeah, yeah. go on, go on, go on. Oh, so I was going to say, I, well, I'll throw in an example straight away. You're talking about it, it's clearly ca- trying to counter cheesy um, uh, lists, and I, 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 it, or, I assume that's the reason it's happening. That it's trying to counter um, unthematic armies that are overly powerful. But it, it also, as you say, it ruins thematic armies that aren't very powerful at all. Like poor old Gildor and his elves, the Noldoran exiles, uh, along with. The Four Hobbits and Build a Pony, which is a yes. rubbish army for competitive play, and is something that I was I was planning on doing at some point, and I've still not got our hands on Gildor, and now I cannot do that army, which makes me feel sad. Yeah, that's that was the first one. Now I've got a, f- a few more, so I've got that one. Uh, I talked about my Black Gate one, that's literally straight out of the book. So the, in the books, the, it has to be a themed army because it's in a scenario. So what I do usually is I make a scenario and I take the list from the scenario to a tournament because that's what I've been painting and playing with. Suddenly that's not an mm-hmm. option. So my thematic choice, straight from what the designers believe is thematic, has been made invalid, is concerning. And I've got a few other examples of that, many of them. So the Defend the Gate scenario from Gondor at War, you've got uh, Dune here. Is it Dune here? It's it's the um, also the the captain of Rohan, the new one, 
uh, Daywine, I believe it is, and yes, um, Daywine, yeah. Ingold, all defending the gate, which is straight from the books, straight from the scenario, illegal. It's gone. Can't use it anymore. Is that overpowered? No, not at all. But it's it's been banned. So so the shade didn't get banned. Shade was abusive. Kiran was abusive. That army got banned. The fellowship with Lothlorien, they go and meet up in Lothlorien where they go and meet Haldir. There was an old scenario where you used to escape the goblins, your fellowship would run in, and Haldir and a squad of elves would save that. Now, people have, people have latched onto Haldir, but that's illegal mm-hmm. straight away. Maybe that will get a legendary legion later on, but but n- totally not overpowered. Yeah, and the same with Haldir on the Deeping's Wall. Haldir, Haldir and the three hunters and some elves, that, that's not allowed anymore, which is not. There's a legendary legion for that one, but yeah, it's... it's... Well, yeah, but you have to include Theoden, so oh, it's true. not the Deeping Wall. Oh, yes, no, you're yeah, right, so... you're right. 100% agree with you there. Bilbo's mm. journey to Rivendell. There's a scenario in the Scour of the Shire book where Bilbo gets basically uh, Rivendell elves and um, some Dunedain to help him go on his trip. He's fortitude. He can't ally on his own. No. That's, that's, uh, that's a shame. Um, he's not a great yeah. model. He's pretty rubbish. Uh, Bree armies, like there's dwarves in Bree. Dwarves, you have to take some super powerful named heroes to ally into pretty much anything. Um, from an evil point of view, you're stuck with basically Sid Briarthorn as a ruffian. You cannot ally in like unnamed Ringwraith. You have to have the named version of them. They are the same model. So the Shadow Lord yeah. is the Shadow Lord when he's a Wraith. That, that's one. Um, I ran this army based on the assassins um, from Lake Town. So basically what it was was uh, the four dwarves that were in Lake Town that got the Lake Town gear. Uh, Tario, Legolas, Bard... Um, and some Lake Town Guard, that army is now illegal because none of those dwarves can be allied. So you cannot take those four dwarves in a Lake Town army anymore. You have to take one of the others, even though they were in Lake Town in the movie. And and, they, and it's not a, it's not a they adding four dwarves to an army. It, yeah, it's not great, is it? It's not going to make it an infinitely better army. It's going to reduce your model count and all that sort of stuff. So it's punishing theme over competitiveness again. Yeah, and then so that that's the theme one straight away. Umbar becomes a lot harder. You have to end up taking the named characters and things like that. But one of the one of the armies I wanted to do was the the, the Witch King and the the Wraith. So this is this is my idea. So that the the Necromancer and the Witch King and some other Wraiths start deployed, and then the rest of my army is Goblin Mercenary Warbands. So what happens is you've got the Wraiths who jump around, they're, they're hard to target, and then slowly out of all the terrain, the Goblin Mercs, who aren't great models, quite frankly, but they've got that one special thing where they come up in terrain. The Goblin Mercs mm. can't be mercenaries anymore. They can't go in anything other than the list they belong into because the Goblin Merc hero is Fortitude. So you've got to pretty much take Azog to go and babysit your Goblin Mercs, who are mercenaries. So now Azog's the mercenary, or the, the Carnage King's the mercenary, or Amdur's the mercenary, not the Goblin Mercenaries. Yeah, which is silly because the the um, mercenary. I think they're from meant to be from Goblin Town, aren't they? They're meant to be like mercenaries. Yeah, have been shipped in from Goblin Town with some armor, so they can't go in a Goblin Town army. No, they can go in the Goblin Town because they're in the Goblin Town list natively. Oh, well, they okay. Sorry, apologies. But they can't <laughs> they can't be mercenaries. So they're in two army lists natively. They're in the Azog's Legion, and they're in the Goblin Town. So if you Fine, take them okay. with the Necromancer, can't work. If you take them with. Um, so any of the other evil armies around, they can't work. Whereas the idea of mercenaries is they, they potentially can. And I wanted to do the wraiths passing through Dunland or that sort of stuff. You can't do a Dunland wraith combination because Dunland doesn't have doesn't have anything above fortitude. So poor Dunland, they have to take the Isengard. You have to have Lurts going around for some reason. Things like Dale, you often have the heroes allying in with, with the um 
uh, what's it, the Grim Hammers, that sort of stuff. You often run that where yeah. one of the forces doesn't have their superhero. Now you have to have the superheroes fighting every single battle there. You've got the Azog Bolg combination is terrible. You've got to have Azog or Bolg all the time as well if you want to get things like the, the trolls or anything from that one. There's just so many things that it, it limits them. And none of this stuff that I mentioned, I believe, is the power option. I think it's hurting the people who play it for the story just because a couple top-tier tournament players have found a, a combination that works really well. Yeah, and, and I think that, that is fundamentally the issue here, isn't it? That that it's put it, it is yes, it, it's to an extent punishing the the people who uh, who find uh, weird combinations, but those those people are going to find weird combinations no matter what, and they will move away from you know adding a, a spider queen into a list somehow. I can't remember what they, or whatever it is that's that's dodgy uh, or a shade into a list or whatever. They'll find a, some way of of making a weird list that isn't thematic that is powerful. But it, but people who want to have a crap army that has the hobbits, Bill the Pony, and Nolder in Exiles have been a, a completely. It, it takes away the whole point of the, the name of the book is Middle Earth Strategy Backline. It's Lord of the Rings. It takes away the point of the game for a lot of people. Which I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure this is going to be resolved. I'm sure this is going to be um, sorted out. But for the meantime, when, when, when is this going to happen? <laughs> when, when am I going to be able to use my journey to rivendell list that i want to do um, i think you're not i think it's going to be double down on i think there's going to be a very slight modification to it that that allows something i think something like it's going to do something with the named heroes or something and then it's going to be doubled down on and we're going to have all these armies gone forever my segment where i did the army reviews i used to always create a themed list with some allies and try to make them as creative as possible about half of those yeah. are illegal now and it's like they're just themed fun lists and and people are inspired by those i'm getting people feeding back saying oh, i've made that army it's great fun and all this sort of stuff and now i gotta yeah. apologize and go back and say don't use these armies they're all gone because of uh a couple of models that that are too good for their profile, basically. Kid and the biggest issue with him was his eighty points. It's dirt cheap. Yeah, just uh, uh, make him one hundred and ten. You know, make him one hundred and twenty points. Then suddenly it, it's reduced a lot of the power of that. And or I'm, I'm sure there are ways of doing it. And I think um, uh, Alfred was another issue, wasn't he? That you could drop him in um, with a few people, and Alfred can superpower people. I don't know. But even then. I, yeah, the, the thing I, what annoys me what exactly well the, what annoys me most is most of these armies were yeah they were a little bit more powerful than the average one and the 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 thing that pees me off mostly is that there are competitive players who are who are complaining about oh how do we address the Kurdan issue how do we address the Kurdan issue and I was sitting there going well what, what issue I, I, it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't really bother me none of these things really bothered me because I was playing in the bottom tables anyway like I was playing with my silly army list uh, the th- thematic army list on the bottom table like uh, for example what a while back I played um good versus evil tournament before Rohan at War came out I had Haldir and and some Rohan guys and that would have, now that's an illegal list it was third and I think Haldir now it would be illegal but it was a very thematic sort of um Rohan and Lothlorien alliance which is now and I was I came second from bottom or something in the tournament the same tournament people were complaining about how how bad the good armies are against evil armies because Kurdan is just a massive uh, downside to it and and I was, I was thinking oh yeah well whatever I myself <laughs> I had a great time and 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 these are the same people now who are complaining about the 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 new changes and you think oh for god's sake some people are just never happy and it ruins it for, the, for everyone else yeah well 
Yeah, I, I don't want to blame individual people because, look, the competitive players, I've got no problem with them taking the best options. I feel like if those options are overrepresented, <clears> that's a good clue that those options are slightly wrong and something's got to be done. A, a key change like the shade where it only affects elves would have been fine. Something like that that... Would have like Kieran should be honestly Kieran probably should be Valor because he's a famous elf. He's a pretty powerful one. He had the rings at a time. He's he's a big deal. I've got no problem with him mm. being powerful, but it's when he's just an auto drop and everything. Then yeah, I, I maybe maybe even if it changed in the alliance where it's um, I, I no I don't I don't want to change the alliance. The alliance is not the problem. I don't I don't think the alliance is the problem. I think it was it's some some individual models. I really like the flexibility we had. I think we've lost something. It, the collateral damage has been pretty big in this one this has been a massive change i do hope look i'm I'm less confident than you are but i do hope that that this message gets through i know that one of our biggest listener bases is nottingham and it's a pretty small town like it's like what is it three hundred thousand people like it's yeah i mean it's not a big city at all it's no and it's certainly it's, not in the top 10 in the country so it's definitely overrepresented itself in terms of green dragon listeners so hopefully someone knows someone that knows someone that can able to say, "Hey, let's let's take a step back, maybe, and and look, maybe I, I've got no problem with with dealing with these these powerful characters, no problem whatsoever. By all means, deal with Kidan. By all means, deal with look. If there's twenty of them, deal with twenty of them. I don't care. But mm. it's it's when you're hitting things like my assassins in the night, Lake Town army, or my Blackgate armies, or all this sort of stuff that that are no longer an option for no reason other than to because some people at the top table don't know how to take a. A sh- uh, like a shaman or something like that, then uh, I've yeah. got problems with that. I, and I worry that the the argument the argument against this stuff will be, well, you know, look, you can still play thematic army uh, amongst friends, and you can do all this sort of, uh, you know, you'll be able to change your play open play system, so you can <laughs> play your thematic, or you can play the scenarios, and and you still enjoy the game the way it's meant to be enjoyed. And and that frustrates me because I in, I'm in an area where there aren't very many people who play the game. So I can't just do house rules that, that mean that I can do these things. I have to go and play against people in uh, tournaments that, that will have to follow the FAQs. And then it means that I can't take my fluffy armies to those tournaments and do what I want to do in the game. And I'm going to, I'll ask Jay, I'll ask Jay. I'm, sadly, I've, I've, I've said before, I, I've hoped to be able to interview members of the Middle Earth team on um on my podcast because I live like an hour away, so it wouldn't be hard to do. But Games Workshop has been very reluctant to uh, facilitate that, and I hope they will because it'd be nice to actually talk to the players about uh, the writers about how they do things and how the the, the structure behind the scenes works because it's interesting. But um, I'm not allowed to, but I will ask um, the questions and I'll say, I'll, I'll, what are you going to do about the the Haldir issue? What are you going to do about? Um, Gildor and all that sort of stuff. So I will pass that message directly to the man and um, I'll see what I'll report back to you at some point. <laughs> That's very brave of you. I'm not going to bring it up with him because like, I don't have a, a personal relationship there. So I imagine he's probably been bombarded with rubbish. Um, as he well, will. So, he yeah. will be bombarded, I'm sure. But, and I, I'll, you know, I, I'll, it, the, there will be a moment that I can I can ask yep. the question. Yes. By all means, to dob me in on, on behalf as well. Because, look, I think my <laughs> listeners know already, like, the kind of lists I design and the kind of ones that I play with. And I'm I'm actually quite successful with them. Like, they're, they're not, like... I, that's part of the game that I enjoy. I like the challenge. I like going for something as theme as possible. One thing I forgot to mention, Battle of Fornos is actually impossible now because Avendui is the only Valor hero in, in Arnor and he wasn't at the Battle of Fornos. That's a big part of Middle Earth. Ugh. So many, so many. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, there's there's um, stuff like the the Easterlings attacking Dale or whatever. You like there's there's things oh, over there yes. that you can't really do either. So, uh, it, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, let, <laughs> I mean, we, we 
we could literally list loads and loads and loads and loads of things. And, and when I first saw it, I thought, oh, it's not going to be as bad as all this. But I, it, it, it does feel like a big, big mistake. And I'm, I, I am hopeful that it will be fixed. I am really hopeful. And I think it probably will be fixed. But the, the pro- problem with these things often is that it, you, they, they sort of a, a level of pride or, or I don't know, like mm, a yes. sort of the, the, the big companies don't like to say, we got it wrong. Um, we're going to change that. But I think they should definitely in this case just say, OK, look, we let, we'll be honest. Um, we didn't um, we, we were thinking about addressing one issue. And this this was a bit of a mistake that we ended up causing more. So we're going to just remove the original fix and then change the the change it again but problem with these faqs they sort of stack onto each other they don't they do yeah. um, they don't remove the previous ones so uh we'll, we'll see we'll see you could just delete that whole paragraph and you know what then the faq would be a rollicking success i think but um if not well i think we'll see. I, think, I think the other issue is that the, it's like i don't know about minorities and, and majorities and all that sort of stuff but there are I, I think there's probably more people expressing that they're okay with it than there are people who who dislike it and i think that's down to the numbers of like actual people it affects it's something that doesn't affect everyone there's a lot of people that that will look at this and say it doesn't affect me at all i run a legendary legion i don't actually care about this and then there's a lot of people who look at it and say i run a legendary legion and i don't like kidan i love this so there's people who who this is the perfect change for them but I think the overall effect is just it's so profound. It's just so many so many things that have that have been taken out, so many options that are available and and like I don't get the argument that's for theme or for all that sort of stuff because everything's been hit. It's a nuclear option. It's 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 a global change. It's a second global change we've had. We had one before where the Red Alliance has changed to deal with Shade and Friends, and that was uh, that was not good. It didn't didn't do what it was supposed to do. This is the second time a global change has been made. I don't think it's doing what it's supposed to do. I think I really hope I really hope that global changes get avoided and, and just give us lots of specific changes. I'm happy with that. Like I don't care that Floyd's been eroded twenty thousand times, but don't make a global change and say, "Well, Floyd's overpowered, so let's make all infantry take a penalty or something like that." Like don't don't do that sort of stuff. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. It, it's just it's just sad. It's just it's just an, an annoying annoying thing we have to deal with in a game that we love about um, that we play purely because of or some of us at least play because we like Lord of the Rings and we like playing toy soldiers about Lord of the Rings. And that's not the case anymore because there are some things that we just can't do. And uh, uh, that makes me sad. Yeah. And there's lots of things we can do. Like, it's not like we're going to stop playing the game or anything like that. So the game is still very interesting to me. It's just, there's just less options, which is, which is not a strong point. So let's, let's change the mood a little bit because that was a little bit of a downer and you were supposed to balance me out and you didn't because I got right down on it. But (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I, 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 the thing is I, when I first saw it, I thought, oh yeah, this isn't so bad. And the more, the more you, you sort of read about it and you think, oh, actually this, this is getting, this is getting to a state where it's actually not, uh, not, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, the more the more evidence there is, the more you, it's hard to deny. Basically, yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. So I've got a, I've got a bit of a challenge for you. It's very end, very end, very end. So I want you to come up with Harry the most like selfish, personal, just for Harry FAQ errata, whichever one you want. Change that that you want to be the next one. One that 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 could be named the the Harry one. Like I know in previous ones that you've mentioned certain people you think the writer belongs to. I want one for you. So have a think about that very carefully. Um, if you want me to go first, I'm happy to, but yeah, please do. Yeah. I, I, cause I, I'm perhaps maybe it's just my, my selfless nature. Oh, means so that I selfless. don't want FAQ. I know I don't want FAQ to just benefit me, but yeah, I, I'll have a quick, go on. 
Okay, so here's mine. Here's mine. So as you know, I've been playing the ruffians lately. The ruffians, there's six models that Games Workshop makes. Uh, three bowmen. Two of the bowmen have whips on the. Oh no, they don't have whips on the side. They've just got the bow, so that's not a problem. One of the bowmen has a club and a bow. You choose a hand weapon of a sword or a club. Not a problem with the bowmen. Now all the the hand weapon guys have a whip on them. That's not a problem in the points match game. I can give them a whip for all of them for a point. And for a point, it's it's overpriced, but you can't get lower than a point. So fair enough. But in the hand weapon guys, there is one with a club. Good weapon. Happy with a club. There's one with a, a little sword. Happy with a dagger. That's a good weapon. There's one with an axe. Or it's cleave. It's an axe type weapon. The ruffian profile. Sword or club. No axe option. So they want me to put my poor ruffians, who are probably the worst models in the game, up to seven points each. So I can include the useless hand weapon upgrade that every other army gets the hand weapons that are on the model, but the ruffians that Games Workshop produce don't have a hand weapon. So my selfish errata is I want the ruffians to have sword, club, or axe as their hand weapon option. Jeremy, that's just going to break the game, though. That's the problem, you know. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> Having an axe is just going to completely ruin the game. Uh, <laughs> I, I, wish, I wish something as specific as you, but maybe it's because I just sort of... Uh, I, I don't know. I just sort of get on with what what's left in front of me, and I go with it. And but I, that one that one must be frustrating. I I, I honestly don't. No, it's I, not. I, it's I, two gears. <laughs> I, I, I could I could I could I couldn't I couldn't honestly come up with an FAQ that that would really change. It. I mean, I did I did have uh, there were frustrations before about uh, about the shades and things like that. And but I think largely that's that's gone. So so I think I suppose my my specific FAQ that will really benefit me is. Give the Angmar troll, uh, cave troll, the Angmar keyword, and give a warg uh, in a Angmar list a, a Angmar keyword because that will sort the shade out completely for me. Because now I think it's, it's punishing people who want to have an Angmar army that's actually you know doable with a shade, which is not a model, and it it's one of these models that everyone sort of rightly chastises because it, it's not a it's not a particularly tactical option, etc. But in in a Angmar list, it's it's not a broken model. So let's just fix the Angmar list so that it can actually use one of its better models. Yeah, I've got no problem with the shade. I, for me, it's the same level as like Gambling or Prince Imrahil or any of those that have a super powerful like bubble effect that takes no brains to use, and they they fit with that. I've got no problem with the shade fitting with an Angmar army. I do have a problem with it allied in. So I I agree with you that we can call that the Harry one, and when when the Ruffin one comes, because I'm sure it's going to happen, because I'm sure that. The, <laughs> The overall chorus of, of yes, so like we'll have a, a one of those very selfish justice for for like Dale type ones where we wanted the banner. We're going to have that for the axes for the ruffian models. It's going to be a hashtag be axes a for ruffians. Yes, I think that's the next one. <laughs> imagine, imagine if that gets changed before the um the Adelaide the Valor ally gets done. <laughs> oh God, yeah. Don't, now you've said it. Now now you've said it. That's going to be the first thing now. Oh dear! Oh dear! <laughs> oh, well, thanks for that, Harry. That was a that was well. That we went on longer than that, but I do enjoy talking to you. So it's like you talk professionally or something like that. Oh, thanks very much. Yeah, no, I, I realised we did cover a lot of ground and probably save the, the the more important stuff right for the end of the the podcast. Yeah. But uh, still, it's uh, it's good to have a catch up and talk about all the different stuff that's been going on, and uh, especially like you say, when you haven't done a podcast for a few weeks and I haven't done a podcast for months. So it's nice to get back in the get back in the zone and talk about these things. It is, it is. No, it's it's good. It's remembering how the equipment works and all that sort of stuff. That was fun at the start. So, no, good episode. <laughs> so, listeners, fun. I'll just I'll just do some, some bookkeeping and all that sort of stuff. Um, sure, thank sure. you for those who have signed up for our Patreon. I know I don't mention it every episode because that was not the intention, but we really do appreciate it, and that's going to go towards um, 
getting some some equipment for for recording and some some the paying for the, some of the costs and all that sort of stuff that goes with it and and um, the rest of it will go put towards like um, upgrading a, a level to my house or all that sort of stuff from the from the the aid of you. So thank you very much for for the. For the, the for the um the help there that that's really good. I do like that that we can be a little bit independent here and, and, and criticize where we can. So we're not we're not affiliated with Games Workshop and and that sort of stuff. So um, let me know if I went too harsh on here. If you don't don't mind the the change, like that's fine as well. I don't I don't like ever the more variety and the more people we have the better. And I think this this does affect a certain type of person and not not everyone. So that's all fine. But um yeah, let us know how the new scenarios go as well and and um harass Harry to put out some more episodes because we've got to listen to someone other than the Green Dragon. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I will get some new uh, things out. And and just because we ended that, the, the, the podcast sort of on a, on a bit of a low and a bit kicking kicking the, the FAQ a bit at the end, um, it is worth noting that the, the, the new match play guide is really very good and there's lots of stuff to, to like about it. And there are actually a, quite a few FAQs that, that we went through. I mean, the vast majority of the FAQs that we talked about we, we nodded our head and said, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. So it's worth noting that the, all of the, the stuff that, you know, the middle of team are doing are, isn't all bad. Um, and this, that last one might have made a, a bit of a, bit of a, a mistake. Um, and, you know, people are human and I completely understand that these sorts of things happen. So, you know, I, I would say that, that, that generally it's great that we're even getting updates. That, uh, you know, we're getting a game that's developing. We're getting new books. We're getting uh, the new Forge World models that have just been announced. The uh, the Grishnak and uh, and the uh, Helm's Deep and stuff. Uh, sorry, Helm Hammerhand. They're all really lovely, and it's great that all these things are happening. So you know, let's mm. not kick Games Workshop too much because they are supporting a, a game that we love. Yeah, look, I've got no problem kicking them because, as I say, kicking kicking a business is fine. Kicking a person, be be nice to the people because the people are yeah, are working there and they are people. People are allowed to make mistakes and um and we're allowed to be upset about them. We're allowed to be disappointed, but just be be reasonably civil about it, and then it's all good. That was fun. I I enjoyed that. It was good to get some of that that ranting going because sometimes in text it's hard to get your point across entirely. And and the biggest responses people have got was either like that's ridiculous, it's over the top, or like what's the problem so so it's good to be able to at least point out what my problem is with it so maybe people who who didn't care about it will understand at least where i'm coming from and they can still disagree with me because that's fine as well we're all out of our own opinions and um, absolutely yeah. there are some great memes about it though check them out oh the, the memes are the hilarious aren't they? On, there's some on, really good ones yeah. on both sides i have a good laugh at those like I, I, yeah <laughs> i like people presenting arguments through memes it's very light-hearted yeah. and funny so it that's is. all good. Um, our next episode, listeners, just so you know, we've we've been working um behind the scenes very hard on our Mordor review. Um, hadn't released revealed that like fully, but it is going to be insanely long because we are following the same format as all our others. Um, we do have to rewrite some army lists for it as well, and and do some other things. But that will be coming out at some point in the future. So that's really something to look forward to. Mordor is a lot of fun. Excellent. And my my ep- next podcast will be coming out in a week and a bit. Hmm. So, thank you very much, listener. Thanks for listening this long. Uh, Remember, traps win games. Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. Please be advised that the Green Dragon Podcast is not suitable for children, the elderly, pregnant women, those with a history of heart conditions, or anyone expecting to receive worthwhile advice. You can contact us on thegreendragonpodcasts at gmail.com. Yes, it has an S at the end or our Facebook page, The Green Dragon Podcast. We do not claim ownership of any works based on J.R.R. Tolkien, New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers, or Games Workshop. This podcast is purely for entertainment. The thoughts, as rare as they are, 
are solely that of our hosts and guests. Farewell, listener, until we meet again.